get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. At the line, Kessel holds it in. Wrist shot, save, rebound, into the middle it goes, they score! Krug buries it, Neighbors assisted it, 3-2 St. Louis. There's a quick one by Neighbors, they score! Rebound to the near side and Jordan Cairo bangs it in. Back to Tory Krug on an Amron, Missouri power play. Rink wide to Thomas, to the middle to Butch Neighbors, they score! seconds to go and that'll do it bring out the Zamboni a 6-3 homestand opening win for the St. Louis Blues over the Edmonton Oilers I thought we played a direct game that was predictable for everybody on the ice that you know we were moving our feet I thought tonight you know complete opposite of where we were in Toronto you know where we didn't have any energy we weren't moving our feet like tonight you know our guys were skating and and they were competing Oh, that's what it sounded like right here last night as the St. Louis Blues get what I think, Alex, given the stakes, given the environment, given the opponent, given everything that we had as the backdrop to this, maybe the best win of the St. Louis Blues season up to this point. You outscore Edmonton 4 to nothing in the second period. You have now won eight of your last ten games. We are roughly a month away from this year's NHL trade deadline. And Alex, choo-choo! All oh, aboard yeah. the Blues hype train, baby. It is officially here. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. I'm throwing hold, caution to the wind. Hold, I'm hold. ready to buy in. I need to see nothing more. I am ready to believe in your St. Louis Blues. They have shown me everything that was necessary. Jordan Cairo looks better. Jake Neighbors is a freaking man on a mission right now. They don't have Justin Falk on the blue line, and they look like a better version of themselves defensively. Jordan Bleepin Bennington looks like screw top 12 goalie in the NHL. Top goalie. Looks like a top five goalie in the NHL Jordan, Jordan. Jordan. Under Drew Bannister, you have now beat Dallas twice, Vancouver twice. You won on the road at Florida. You beat the Rangers. You beat Edmonton. I've seen you beat the best that the West has to offer right now. So why not? Why not us? That's what I will say today. Good morning, St. Louis. Why not us? Alex Ferrario, how you doing? My Let's bleep it go! <laughs> Basically what is, took place last night was I'm at a blackjack table. The dealer flipped a king. Oh, I got oh a two- and I got another two. And I just split the twos and pushed all my chips in and said, all in. You know why, T-Bone? Because I like to live dangerously. And dangerously living means I am all aboard this Blues train. I'm going to get my heart hurt probably the last game of the season when they well, miss the playoffs by one point. You're going to get the point. Illinois basketball experience. I'm going to get my heart hurt when they make the playoffs and might get beat by one goal game. That's fine. Doesn't matter. Here's why. They are making me feel something again, and this is all Which, I wanted. By the yes. way, by the way, let's let's go back in our time machine. <laughs> Yesterday <laughs> during Believe It or Not, 
Someone sends a text that says, believe it or not, the Blues will lose five of their next seven. And BK goes, oh, believe it. Yeah, I could totally see this happening. You, you Today know, he comes on the air and goes, I'm all in. Hype train, baby. Don't let him on. Don't let him on, Blues fans. We got the tape. I didn't grab it because I just remembered it, but we've got the tape. <laughs> the definition of happiness <laughs> is reality it's minus expectations. <laughs> And when my expectations were about as low as you could possibly get in this next seven-game yep, yep, stretch, yep, yep, yep. guess what? My happiness level exponentially <laughs> rises. If you never have any expectations, T-Bone, you can learn something about this. Suddenly, your happiness increases in a significant way. So these St. Louis Blues, they've already met my expectations. So the reality of whatever they do in the next six, it's going to be a hell of a lot more than what my expectations were. So that's why I'm here. Every, that's why I'm here today. Everybody should have watched that game last night and said the exact same that BK just did. Why not us? BK listed the teams off. Like, the teams that are above you right now in the standings, in a matter of 25 games, you have beaten the top team in the Central Division twice. You have beaten the top team in the Pacific Division twice. You have beaten some of the best teams in the Western Conference. And you not only beat the Edmonton Oilers, you spanked the Edmonton Oilers for two periods. Connor McDavid, the best player in the world. Remember when people are like, oh, Alex Pareko's not that good of a defenseman. McDavid had two shot attempts in 40 minutes of hockey last night against the Blues. While they were down. While they were down. Now, let's take out the consideration that Edmonton decided to put them in the box eight times in that game, but he's still the best player in in the NHL. And he got two shot attempts in two periods when they were trailing. I don't think the Blues are the best team in the National Hockey League. I don't think the Blues can win a Stanley Cup. True. (laughs) But you know what I do think the Blues can do? strike fear into a lot of teams because of certain elements of their game. When I look at a team and I say, that team's got a chance to do something at the end of the season, there are certain criteria, certain elements of that roster that I look at. Do they have a number one centerman? I don't think anybody is going to deny anymore that Robert Thomas is a top centerman in the National Hockey League. An elite centerman. I saw some numbers last night on him. That dude is one of the best centers in the NHL right now. And he's a point-per-game player. On this team. More than. Yeah, on this team. This team. Where we're complaining about not having a 25 goal scorer. Do you have a number one defenseman? Someone try and argue Colton Pareko is not because he is playing 25 plus minutes a night and eliminating the other teams. Greg Wyshynski coming up at noon. Can't wait because <laughs> do you have a number one goaltender? Hey, hey, he just hates on the goalie. I don't know about the Pareko thing. Do you have a number one goaltender? Dom Lashizen coming up at 1230. Oh I'm kidding. God. That one's not I actually I was going to say, he's not allowed on <laughs> this show. Invited. He is not allowed. By the way, JR and I were talking last night, and he was in Toronto. He was talking with some of the athletic people, and they play pickup hockey in Toronto because, of course, they do. And JR was asking, you know, who the best guy on the athletic is in pickup hockey, and guess who it is? Dumb. Don't tell freaking Tom. I'm so pissed off. I'm like, screw that guy. So he has laced up some skates yeah, before. <laughs> more than I have, but he's still not right on this. You've got the criteria to where people should be believing. And the way I explained this last night on postgame was, what is your goal when you're trying to accomplish in the retool? You are trying to go north. And where the Blues are at right now, you are night and day better than what you were last year when we were talking about a retool. So, yeah, as BK said, why not us? 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. By the way, you guys can get involved today 
via the mic drop feature. I'm so excited about the Blues. I'm taking mic drops on this here. Let's go. Are you ready to jump on board the Blues hype train? Are you buying into what we have been seeing? The Blues now are 16-8-1 since Drew Bannister took over. The only Western Conference teams with a better points percentage in that stretch of time are Edmonton, Dallas, and Winnipeg. You have the fourth best winning percentage since Drew Bannister took over as the head coach of the St. Louis Blues. Want to hear your thoughts on the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. We'll get to those over the course of the show today. From the 636. Guys, am I the only one that notices that BK says every couple of weeks that was the biggest win that the Blues have had so far this season? You're not. I've noticed that. And you know why? Because the Blues are adding to their biggest win of the season consistently over the last six to eight weeks of the season. Like I said, you beat Dallas twice. You beat Vancouver twice. You go on the road. You beat Florida. You beat the Rangers here. You beat Edmonton here. Man, those are huge wins. Those are, like, if this was college basketball, those would be wins that you put on your resume. Where We're getting to the tournament. It's selection committee time, and it shows best wins, worst losses. The Blues' best wins this year, you could stack up against just about anybody in the Western Conference. You'd be like, hot damn. Blind resume, that looks like a pretty good team over there on the left-hand side. So that's why I've consistently said that. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, one game is not the same as winning a series. There's a huge difference between the two. Alex, I'll let you take care of this. One game? We're not talking about one game. Sure, last night was also, I sound like Herb Brooks right now. We're talking about eight victories in your last ten games. And in those last ten games, you're talking about wins against Vancouver on the road, Calgary on the road, Seattle on the road, the LA Kings at home. You just did this to the Edmonton Oilers. We're not talking about, if this team was in the middle of a five-game losing streak and did what they did last night, this would be a different tone right now on the radio. But we're doing this because on December 14th, everybody was done with this Blues team. They needed to put together a win streak of eight victories in a row. Guess what they did? They won eight out of ten. They climbed not only back into the playoff conversation, but guys, they climbed into a better situation than what the LA Kings are in, both with 60 points. I know LA's got games in hands, but they've won four of their last ten. They've also climbed into a position where they're 10 points behind Colorado. They've got two games on Colorado, and they play Colorado one more time this season. This isn't one game. You've been one of the best teams in the Western Conference since the start of the 2024 calendar year. And somebody on the text line brings up, uh, this comes from 314 as well. Guys, Jake Neighbors isn't just a guy anymore. He's now become a dude. He's a god. He is a chaos agent. <laughs> he creates chaos in front of the net. He had the Oilers all kinds of messed up. Oh, yeah. Alex, Brandon. I don't know how many times we have had a conversation over the past two and a half years now mm-hmm. about the Blues culture and how it went awry, what they needed to do to get it back. This is not the Blues that we have all come to know and love. I am here to announce today, ladies and gentlemen, that I am ready to make this proclamation. The Blues culture is back. And the Blues culture, what we maybe didn't recognize at the time, is tied into getting to the front of the net. That is what, when we think Blues culture, that's what it is. It's hardworking, it's greasy goals, it's getting to the front of the net on the power play. That is what it is tied into. And so for this team... As you look at, okay, BK, what's changed? Why does it feel different right now? Jake Neighbors, Oscar Sundquist. That's it. It's those two guys. Now, you're getting contributions from elsewhere. I don't want to make it seem as if they're the only two that are playing well right now. They're not. Robert Thomas, you mentioned earlier, Alex, playing great. 
Jordan Bennington couldn't be where you are right now without him. Hofer in net, uh, been unbelievable for you as a number two. Pareko, all these things are good. But the thing that is different this time around is that you have Jake Neighbors, who is driving to the front of the net and is helping you both at five-on-five and especially on the power play. Mm -hmm. And you have Oscar Sundquist, who is back and is driving both offense and defensively what you're doing as a team. That dude does not care what the situation is. He's putting his body on the line, whether it's to block a shot in his own end or to go out there and put a puck in the back of the net with his face, if that's what it takes, in front of the net. So that's what's changed for the Blues. And that's why I'm starting to buy in is because we're starting to see that now rub off on some of their teammates. What's rub you mentioned off mean? earlier where Jordan Cairo is starting to go to the front of the net. Yeah. That's something I never thought we would see in the year of our Lord 2024. True. So, yeah. I'm starting to become a believer because I think we're seeing stuff that is tangibly different than anything we've seen since the Blues had the run in 2020. Well, and if BK is talking about culture being the impactful part, you know that that's really impactful for this team. But, I mean, you're not wrong. Like, the Blues right now, and Tory Krug said this to Jeremy Rutherford on his piece, the Q&A on The Athletic, he talked about kind of under Drew Bannister what's changed is this team is more direct. The first period against Edmonton last night, they weren't direct. They were scatterbrained. They were making bad decisions. But in a matter of 18 minutes, they went into a locker room and completely changed their game back to what gives them success. Whether you think it's a coaching issue, whether you think it's a player issue, it doesn't matter. Another reason why you're believing in this team is because they have recognized what gives them success. We play a north-south brand of hockey. They've also got a little bit of, of pissed-off attitude in their game. Marcus Scandella dropping the gloves last night with Corey Perry because of a hit on Oscar Sundquist tells you everything you need to know about this team. They're not pushovers anymore, which if you're Doug Armstrong, you look at this roster and you say, if they're not going to be pushovers and they're going to play like this, we've got to invest a little bit into what this team's ready to accomplish. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you guys want to get involved in the show, 314-399-9646. That is the Air Comfort Service text line. You can always check us out on YouTube as well. YouTube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. The Graveyard Chat is off and running this morning. Go ahead and get in there. Uh, the water's warm. It's a beautiful time yeah, to be involved. Somebody peed in the pool. The That's why. Over there uh, on the YouTube chat. The studio cams are powered by the Airlines team. By the way, you can always get involved as well. I want to hear from you today genuinely about where you stand on the St. Louis Blues. Are you ready to buy in? Have you seen enough? Or are you still skeptical about this team given what we saw from them, you know, against Toronto and against Columbus? If that is where you're at right now, now you can get those mic drops on the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app today. Coming up at 12 o'clock, Greg Wyshynski, our great friend and the man that is so incredibly wrong with his goalie rankings. We'll get to him coming up at 12 o'clock. But next, speaking of goalie, Jordan Bennington is the main reason why you are able to dream about this Blues team. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Go to work on the Rottler Pest Control penalty kill for the third time. Oilers center. What a save by Bennington. They put it in front to Zach Hyman, and he robbed him with the glove. McDavid, toe drag, shot on Bennington. Another big save. All the way to Nugent Hopkins near wing. Now to McDavid. Back door in front. Toe save. Bennington's made three beauties on this penalty kill. 
He continues to be facing a lot of shots and, and making some unbelievable saves, it seems like, game after game. So obviously that motivates us as players that, you know, we want to provide him goal support and, and get a lead for him. And, um, you know, we feel pretty confident if we have a lead, he's going to lock it down. Jordan Bennington is 8-3-1 in his last 12 games. He's absolutely a top-10 goalie in the NHL with the way that he's performing lately. He has a 9-27 save percentage in those 12 starts alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. You're listening to BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Grant France is doing great work back in the studio for us today. Alex, last night, you don't win that game without the work that Jordan Bennington did in net. In particular, the two saves that he had against Hyman. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous work by him. Uh, one with the glove, the other with the toe. Yeah. I, I don't understand how he was able to do it. You could call it luck. You can call it fortune. I just call it impressive. Um, that guy has been so damn good in net for most of the season. Now, he did have that strange like two-and-a-half-week period where things kind of went south for him, and ultimately that kind of led to Craig Berube getting fired but other than that Alex he's been great this year and I want to give credit where it is due because I've probably been the most critical of Bennington over the last two years or so for what he's been uh, during the regular season what are you seeing from him right now what is standing out to you I'm seeing a goaltender that gives a team a chance to win every single night um, and for those that you know saw ESPN's list yesterday and was like well you know what yeah, he probably is the 12th best goalie in the National Hockey League uh, his goal saved above expected right now 12.5 which is sixth best in the National Hockey yeah. League you are seeing a goaltender that when he steps on the ice and really it's a goaltending tandem because I think Hofer's been playing this way but we're talking Bennington strictly right now the team that steps on the ice is thinking we're in this game no matter what. No goal goes in, two goals go in. Bennington is still going to make a save, and a perfect example of this is the Toronto Maple Leafs game. Go back to that Maple Leafs game where it felt like the Blues were out of it after the first period. He made two separate saves on the power play for the Blues that you said, man, he's keeping them alive. That's what Jordan Bennington provides. Last night, Jordan Bennington, he is a... He is a a player that can get into the head of other players. And what I mean by that is the Colorado Avalanche two years ago in the playoffs, he doesn't get injured. I think Colorado had the yips playing against Jordan Bennington because they were like, we can't, we can't solve this goaltender. Last night, Zach Hyman absolutely had the yips against Jordan Bennington. After those two saves, it's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Now, they did break through on the power play, but look at the second and third period. They didn't know what to do. They felt flustered. When you have a goaltender, and I don't care what numbers say, I don't care what his save percentage saves or his save percentage says in high danger situations. You've got a goaltender that in a three one game, your team gives up a power play opportunity and a shorthanded breakaway comes back the other way, he's making that save. That's the goaltender you need if you want to win hockey games. That's the goaltender that makes you believe we have any opportunity. All we need to do is just sneak into the playoffs. He's a goaltender that can rob hockey games against any type of opponent and always provides his team to take that next step forward. So if you're not believing in what Jake Neighbors is doing, what Robert Thomas is doing, what Colton Pareko is doing, you need to start believing that the Blues have a goaltender that I would say 75% of the National Hockey League wishes they had, which is why St. Louis should view this as we might have something special this season. I, he's the one that allows you to dream, man. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons as to why you – like maybe you start believing. Maybe you're like, okay, yeah, 
I was I was kind of down on the Blues this year, but maybe they could make the playoffs. The guy that allows you to dream of not just getting to the playoffs, like this team has a pretty decent shot at this point of getting to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They still got a lot in front of them, but they've got, they're. I would say it's like 50-50, yep. maybe, maybe a little better right now. That's a pretty good odds, given where they were midway through the season. Um, the guy that allows you to say, okay, if they get in, then what? And at the end of that statement, you say, then they can win it all. And I think that's it's a low percentage chance, don't get me wrong. But the player that gets you there is Jordan Bennington. Mm-hmm. Because since the start of the new year, there are 30 goalies that have made at least 10 starts, Alex. He is seventh or sixth, excuse me, in save percentage at a nine twenty seven. He's seventh in goal saved above average, which is just a fancy number to say like he's been better than the vast majority of goalies given what the shot quality is that he's facing. And if you look at the high danger save percentage, he's better than anybody in the entire league. Yeah. And I think that's what's really stood out to me, Alex, and it's that's where the numbers kind of match the eye test. It feels like when Bennington's been at his best in the past, he makes most of the saves that you would expect, but there's you know, even last night there was a save where you're like, ah, kind of wish he would have had that one. And that happens occasionally against Benner, where it just it, one that you don't expect to go in does. But what he does in a way that very few goalies in the NHL can, he just makes the spectacular look easy. Like the the saves that just break your soul is the opponent where you've got a breakaway and it's like Connor McDavid coming one on one against Jordan Bennington. You're like, oh well, here goes a goal. He finds a way. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that changes the momentum of a hockey game. And I, I think he's done that about as well as anybody in the league this year. And that is what gives me the belief, the hope, the excitement that this could be a little something more this year. I, I don't know where this is going. I want to make that very clear. I have no idea how good oh, this team Stanley actually Cup. is. But, <laughs> man, they, they seem to believe in themselves And that's half the battle a lot of the time in pro sports. And I think the other critical thing is you're not just seeing those, you know, we mentioned the momentum saves. Those momentum saves are huge. But the other thing is you're not seeing the back-breaking goal. I mean, you mentioned there's not a lot of times this year that I've been able to say, I mean, that third one last night was a bit odd. But, like, outside of that, I I can't say a lot of times, like, there's just that back-breaking goal that he gives up because he's making the momentum saves. And then there are times where I would see last year or two years ago, you'd see shots that go in and you go, okay, I don't know. Like, that just can't happen. If That's the one that's the backbreaker that kind of loses the momentum. And this year that's not happening. It's not happening for Bennington. And then when you need the big save that we've been talking about, he makes it. I mean, look at the shorthanded breakaway last night that he yep. makes a save. They score on that. I, I don't know what happens in that game. They may end up losing it. And instead they end up piling on and ambushing the Oilers in the second. Uh, and I think what the Blues are doing this year is another reason why you should also be very optimistic about this is they're they're recognizing what the weakness is for Jordan Bennington, its workload. They're not overworking him. I fully anticipate Joel Hofer to start yeah. tomorrow against Nashville. I expect Bennington to get Toronto, and then I expect because there's days off in between Bennington to get the Winnipeg Jets. But they're trying to make sure that Jordan Bennington is not overworked which is a good thing. Guys, the Winnipeg Jets are going to overwork Connor Hellebuck going into the playoffs. The Vancouver Canucks are going to use a lot of Thatcher Demko going into the playoffs. Stuart Skinner is going to be a shade of himself from that 16-game win streak because they have to use him. The Blues know that if they've got Jordan Bennington rested, that he's probably the most dangerous man in the National Hockey League. If the playoffs were to start today, you'd be taking on the Dallas Stars. To me, I don't feel scared about that matchup. Here's a question for you. Which NHL teams in the Western Conference, so which Western Conference teams genuinely scare you this Winnipeg year? would be a team that I would be very 
uneasy about sure. going up against just because they've had their your number. And Vegas, I'd have a little bit of unease against because yeah. they always play you hard. I think you've got the – I don't think. I know you have the better goaltender in a matchup against the Colorado Avalanche. Mm-hmm. You're night and day better than Colorado when it comes to goaltending. You are significantly better than the Edmonton Oilers. I think you're better in terms of goaltending against Vancouver, despite what some people believe. And I don't trust Jake Ottinger. So I would say the four teams that you could potentially see in a first or second round matchup, I would give the Blues the advantage because of Jordan Bennington. Yeah, I, I, the Western Conference in previous seasons has been scary yeah. at the top, where you look at what they have available to them and you're like, well, I, I mean, what are you supposed to do, right? Right. I, I don't f- this year. It feels kind of like the NFC did this year in the NFL, where you look at it, you're like, yeah, the 49ers are really, really good. I think they could be had given what they had defensively this year. Like there, there's a way to exploit what this 49ers team did, and we saw it in the postseason that came to fruition. The AFC was scary. <laughs> like you had teams, the yeah. Bills, the Ravens, the Chiefs. Like there were teams all over, up and down that that conference where it was scary. That's kind of how I feel about the East. Like if you were in the East right now, I would not be having the same conversation. There are a lot of great teams in the Eastern Conference and teams that just have dudes that I trust in the postseason. When you get there, I, I don't. I don't feel that same way about the West. I do want to go out to the mic drop feature. Yeah. We've got one from yes. Joe that I want to hear. If you guys have one, go ahead and get them in right now. The uh, 101 ESPN app is free to download on your phone. What are your thoughts right now on the St. Louis Blues? Let's hear from Joe. All right, here's my mic drop, and I'll start it with a hot take. We have a better chance at winning a cup than the Vancouver Canucks. Jordan Bennington has been lights out, playing at his peak, carrying the team through a lot of these games which is what he did in 2019 when we were in a similar position we still didn't have a flashy team although we had some more star power but we have Jordan Bennington at his peak even Joel Hofer playing very well we got Robert Thomas solidifying himself as a number one center we got Colton Pareko maybe you can't call him a number one shutdown D he's not Alex Petrangelo but he will suffice And on top of that, they're getting hot at the right time, just like they did in 2019. I think we make the show, we got a shot, and this team is built for a seven-game series. We got depth at center, lots of people that can take face-offs. I think we got a shot. Let me know what you guys think. I love the optimism. First of all, Pareko doesn't suffice. He's better than half the guys in the league, but that's okay, Joe. I like what he's saying because they're getting hot at the right time. And what I, I do agree, like I would give them a better shot in a seven game series over the Vancouver Canucks because what seems to happen for teams that have this over exaggeration of confidence is they go all in at the trade deadline. They trade for as much things as possible because they know that nobody's going to stop them. And that becomes a problem. They've already traded for Elias Lindholm, they've already traded for Nikita Zadorov, and they're in the conversation to make more acquisitions. What I like about the Blues, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. If they make a move, it's going to be one slight tweak. And that tells the entire roster that you have, we believe in what you guys have done. And it's not a five-game stretch. It's not a ten-game stretch. If it plays out the rest of the way, you went for over half of the season as one of the toughest teams to play in the Western Conference. So I don't know what happens. I don't believe they're going to win a Stanley Cup. I'd give them less than a 5% chance to do it. But I do believe that they can beat any of these top teams in a seven-game series because of what Joe said, the goaltender. It goes back to what I said in the last segment, which is hey, if your expectations are low enough, you can, you can find a way to get yourself pretty happy. 
And my expectations going into this season were set by Doug Armstrong. I think he does a really good job with this. It's something yeah. I, I don't think the Cardinals do a particularly good job what? of. But he sets expectations properly. Where he, he said before the season, do I think we're a top three team in our on our division? I, I'm not really sure. I, I would say probably no. I think we can battle, though, to be one of those wild card teams. And that's that's what Army's hopes, beliefs were in this roster. He assembled it. He set expectations properly. And that's exactly where the Blues stand right now. They're in one of those spots in the Western Conference, despite how poorly it was going early in December when they decided to fire Craig Berube. And so when you have the, all of that as the backdrop, that is where the expectations were. That is where your coach was. And now you got a new one. And given what we're seeing right now from some of the players that are showing us things that we didn't anticipate, especially with Jake Neighbors, yeah, man, I, I think this team has a chance to make the playoffs, which would already be a success. Making the postseason at all this year is a successful season. And then if you get in, can they win around maybe two? I think that's where Jordan Bennington comes in, and he's the one that gives you that opportunity. All right, we're getting a little high on Hopium. No, we're not. With the St. Louis Blues. Are we ready to do that for the Cardinals? Because I'll tell you what. Greg Amzinger sure as hell is. We'll let you hear what he had to say coming up next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I like the Cardinals veteran mix with their young talent and what they did to the rotation. I still like, I know a lot of people in St. Louis aren't fans of Gibson and Lynn and Gray, but you're going to see that that team ERA is going to come down dramatically. And the bullpen with Middleton now in it, who I've been a huge fan of, is going to be vastly improved. I think the Cardinals are going to win over 90 games. And, I, and I'm bullish on that. And I, 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 would, I, would love to, I would love to hear Mosaic be as equally as bullish as I am, but the Cardinals went over 90. Oh, boy, that's our guy Greg Amsinger of MLB Network on with a morning show yesterday talking about why he's bullish on this year's Cardinals team alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK. We will have Jake Neighbors, Blues Forward, coming up at 12.15, by the way. So be sure to tell all your friends, Jake Neighbors coming up on the show today at 12.15. We'll talk to him live here from the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, are you buying what Greg Amsinger is selling? No. 90 wins? We were just talking earlier this week that they might not get past 80 wins. No, I'm not buying that. I I, uh, I love Greg, and I understand where Greg's coming from because, frankly, I'm the Blues version of Greg. I get way too excited, way too early about teams, and it blows up in my face. But I, because of how the Cardinals were last year and because of kind of the, the good vibes we've been feeling this offseason, it is really lofty for me to look at them and say that's a 90-win team because – there's so many uncertainties on this team still. Like, Nolan Arenado's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. Shouldn't you have had a chip on your shoulder last season? Like, what does that mean? Where's your defense at? Because now that Tommy Edmonds not hurt, how is this offense going to look? Because we were pretty excited about it last year. And then the old pitching staff. So, 
No, I think Greg's getting a little too far over his skis. Um, 90 wins is way too lofty of an expectation. Yeah, I, I don't think they're a 90-win team. I, I, I think their ceiling right now is like 85 to 87. I, I think that's about where they are with their ceiling. And I, I don't think any, like, unless there is some, like, major surprise, like Michaelis all of a sudden is top five in Cy Young or top ten in Cy Young, gets back to all-star form, and Steven Matt stays healthy and pitches like the number three that we've talked about, and it's not just in spurts, then the ceiling can change for me. But I'm not going to go into the season thinking that's going to happen after what I've seen from Matt's two years in St. Louis and what I saw from Miles Michaelis last year. So I, I think their ceiling right now is 85 to 88, and I think they need an acquisition, a number two starter more specifically, to raise that ceiling. I just don't think that you have the starting pitching to be able to do what he's asking for. And this is not me. You guys have heard what I've said about the Cardinal starters. I. I'm not as low as many of uh, the people in our audience right now on their starting pitching, but I also think that they lack the upside of what you need to do this. So I just looked up what over the last five years. So this is not including obviously 2020, but 23, 22, 21 and 19. So the four seasons over the last five years, full seasons, the Phillies won 90 games last year. The Brewers won 92 games last year. What do they have in common? Both really good starting pitching. 2022, the Cardinals won 93 games. The Padres won 89. So they were right in that same range. What do the Padres have that year? A really good starting pitching. 2021, the Brewers, Cardinals, and Braves were all in that range of 90 wins. 2019, National Cardinals and Brewers were all in that range of 90 games. It, if the Cardinals are going to get to 90 wins this year, it would require a couple of things. Dominant bullpen excellent defense and a top five offense in major league baseball. Now that's possible. That's in the range of outcomes for this upcoming season. I could see how you get there. I think this bullpen is going to be pretty good. Potentially. I think the defense has a chance. If everything comes together to be like top 10 ish in major league baseball, I don't know that you're going to get back to being elite, but top 10 ish in major league baseball. And then the offense, it, it really just is a matter of where do you stand on them. I'm high on the offense. I know that a lot of people are not. That's fair. I, I think that when you look at what they had when the seven games played last year where they had everybody healthy, pretty good offense. But I think all of that has to fall into place, and then you need your rotation to stay healthy. So there's just too much for me. I, I don't think that I can possibly expect them to win 90-plus given the roster that's assembled now. If they signed Blake Snell, they're not going to. They signed Jordan Montgomery, they're not going to. I think that gets you to 90, but right now I can't get you there. The other thing that Greg Amsinger said, again, he's pretty high. He likes he likes his Cardinals roster. I get it, man. <laughs> Not about the Cardinals, just about the excitement. Is that Sonny Gray is going to have a potentially special season for the Cardinals. Here's Greg Amsinger on the morning show. He's not going to be a 34-year-old that's pitching in the eighth inning. He's not going to pitch in the seventh or eighth inning. But he's going to be a modern baseball version of Chris Carpenter. He'll pitch five and a third and get you set up to win, and he's going to have a sub-three ERA. I like that. That's big. Cardinals didn't have that last year. As a matter of fact, at the halfway point of the season, if you would have heard that you could get a, a veteran pitcher in his mid-30s who isn't going to go six innings, but he's got a sub-three ERA, and he'll pitch every fifth day, would you, would you have taken it? Hell yeah, you would have taken it at the All-Star break. So I know when the season ends, we dream about the players we could sign, but just recognize the Cardinals' rotation is improved. I'm not sure it's as improved as we're making it out to be. He started talking Sonny Gray, and then he got to the Cardinals' rotation. Those are two different conversations. Right, but he's. It, it, I think his point is a fair one, which is if you believe on the front end that Sonny Gray will have a sub-3 ERA, 
the Cardinals rotation has probably improved because that would be a significant improvement as your number one starter from anything that you've had over the last couple of seasons. Alex, if you if I told you right now, it's locked in, I can see into the future, and Sonny Gray finishes the season with 170 innings and a sub-3 ERA. How much does that change for you today, how you're feeling about what the Cardinal season will be? It doesn't change really? anything to me. I think I still would put it at about 85 wins, like what T-Bone said. I, I'm kind of expecting Sonny Gray to have a sub-3 ERA because that's what... That was the intention of signing him. You're bringing in a guy who is a top rotation pitcher. Whether you believe he is or not, that's what the Cardinals believe. And I'm going to believe that you believe it, so you're talking sub-3 RA. My problem isn't Sonny Gray. My problem is two, three, four, five behind him. I don't think Miles Michaelis can be a sub-4 ERA guy. I'm very concerned about that. I really don't think Leonard Gibson can be a sub-4 ERA guy. And... Then we got Steve Matz, who I don't know how many games he's going to pitch. And then if he's not pitching, now we're talking Zach Thompson and Matthew Libertor. So this has nothing to do with Sonny Gray. That's why it's two different conversations. What Greg's talking about, I buy into with Sonny Gray. The problem is you don't have four other pitchers that can get you to 90 wins. If you had one other guy that I was relying on to be close to a sub-3 ERA, I'd be all aboard this 90-win train. But you don't, and your bullpen's not going to be able to handle the workload if one of those four guys that we just mentioned – break. Uh, I, I'm with Alex on this one. I, I, I think Sonny Gray, a, a sub-3 ERA would be awesome, but I don't think his performance raises the ceiling. I, I think the guy that raises the ceiling is Michaelis. What does Michaelis do? That's how you raise the ceiling to get to this 90-win, 90 90-plus-win 90 territory that we've been talking about. I think the only thing that Gray would affect is if he has like a sub or has a uh, – worse three five ERA or more because I think Gray impacts the floor more than he does the ceiling. And mm. so that's why I'm with Alex here. I, I don't think it really impacts much for me. Interesting because I, I view him as being somebody that affects the ceiling. I view the floor as the guys that they signed to be at the back end of the rotation. I think what they did by signing Lynn and Gibson was, hey, we're not doing what we did a year ago. Like the, the floor of Liberator and Thompson and really the other guys that ended up getting starts, Woodford, your guy Hudson, Alex, I'm sorry, yeah, well, um, Drew Rom by the end of the year. Like th- Those guys were the floor, and you're trying to elevate that with Lynn and Gibson. So I feel better about that, I, I, I'll be honest about it. But the ceiling, I think, is raised by Sonny Gray. Like The guys that have had a sub-3 ERA in the last 10 years for the Cardinals, Jack Flaherty in 2019, Miles Michaelis in 2018, John Lackey in 2015, Adam Wainwright in 2014, and Lance Lynn in 2014. That's the end of the list. It's more rare than what I think we're probably giving it credit for. Like, even if you go back further than that, the closest thing to what we're talking about with a fewer than 190 innings, so not like a quote-unquote ace in the traditional sense, but still the effectiveness, it would be Jaime Garcia back in 2010 when we all thought, like, not that he was going to be an ace, but Jaime was pretty damn good in his early portion of his Cardinals career. I think that's the closest comparison, really, for what we're talking about with Sonny Gray. If he gets to that man, like, it does change the way – Maybe not for the regular season. Maybe this is a better way to frame it, T-Bone. It changes the way that I feel about the Cardinals as a playoff contender. 
Because if you can get in with 86 to 88 wins, and then you've got that guy at the front end of your rotation with a pretty good bullpen, I think you need one now more. I'm starting to feel yeah, pretty it, good it. About doesn't it. change much for me because we, we did some research, uh, what was it, a week ago, to where we looked at, okay, like what happens if you have a rotation of like four guys that have four-plus ERAs and they make 20-plus starts? And there were teams that had a guy like a Sonny Gray that we're talking about. That was like, he, he wasn't below three, but he was like right above three. And b- the two teams that I pinpoint, I can't remember the years, but I think it was like 09 Mariners and some uh, another like Boston Red Sox team. Guys, they had a number one starter, and they were done in the first round. Like, you have got to have that number two, and that's why, like, Miles Michaelis, for me, is the guy that raises the ceiling. If Michaelis is a 3-5 ERA guy... If he's what he and was he two years ago. Yeah, and he doesn't even have to have swing and miss, but if he's just a 3-5 ERA guy yeah. and can keep you in games like he did two years ago, like that playoff game against the Phillies where he made one mistake, and that was the that's all she wrote was a Bryce Harper home run then they can actually win a playoff series. They can get to 90-plus wins. I just don't know if it, how much Gray impacts that because I'm expecting Sonny Gray to be really good. I think he has to have that guy that's going to support him as the two. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Alex Ferrario, and I'm Brandon. Kylie Grant France is back in the studio for us. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Jake Neighbors will join us in person at 12.15. Ask us anything coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's get in to Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, we will get to them now. We'll get to Greg Wyshynski in about five minutes, and then Jake Neighbors in person out of the Centene Community Ice Center coming up at 1215. Let's start out with this. Alex, this one's for you. Do you think that Torpchenko has a chance to be a bigger version of Ivan Barbashev? No, because I... This is no disrespect to Torpchenko, but I don't know if he's got the same skill set that Ivan Barbashev does on the offensive side. Torpchenko's offense is going to come solely off of him parked in front of the net and nobody being able to move him out of the way. He does play in a similar sense and I think can be impactful in a playoff series like Ivan Barbashev was because teams hate playing against that. When you're a player and you go back for the puck and you know he's going to hit you, you start to cringe a little bit. And Torpchenko will finish every single hit. Uh, from the 314, who wins the Super Bowl first? Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, or Justin Fields? Allen, Jackson, Herbert, or Fields? Allen Jackson. Love to see him win a Super Bowl. Uh, Justin Herbert. Because of the coach and because of the team. I think, I think they could win one within the next couple of years with Harbaugh. I would go Josh Allen. I think that's where I am because he's a dual threat. You know, Herbert's great, and I love Justin Herbert, but he doesn't have the legs that can change a game like Josh Allen. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 618. Guys, if you had to pick one other city other than St. Louis to be a sports writer, reporter, or analyst in, what city would you be choosing? Vegas. Hmm. My wife would tell me Florida, but I would say Vegas. That's a good one. I would want to go to a baseball city. Um, so like Vegas is a baseball city. Well, sure. <laughs> um, I would say I, I would say I would want to go to a big market too. L.A. or New York would be where I'd want to go. I don't think I can and, and, I, and those are like probably not L.A. because they're I don't not so much a baseball. I I, I'd go New York. I, I'd say New York because that's a baseball market. Yeah, I would go Dallas, Chicago. Chicago would be fun. Seattle. 
Those would be my I, three. I really want to go to Seattle. Those I, would probably be my three. I've heard that's a beautiful city, and I kind of want to go just to experience it. Um, but realistically, like I, I don't think I could deal with the cold of the winter in Chicago. So oh, you could pro- not. Probably no. Dallas or Seattle, if I'm being totally honest yeah. here. Uh, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air covered service text line. Last question here: Do you guys think we can compare Caitlin Clark's game to the men's game and accomplishments, or is it just apples and oranges? Dude, watching Caitlin Clark is yeah. a legitimately incredible experience. Like I know earlier today, Josh disagreed with this completely. That's fine. Uh, reasonable minds can disagree. I, I, I think Caitlin Clark is like one of my favorite college athletes that I've watched personally, just from a pure viewing perspective. I also like watching Steph Curry in the NBA. I find his game to be one of the just aesthetically most appealing games to watch. And Caitlin Clark has a little bit of that at the college level. I've watched as much women's basketball over the last calendar year <laughs> as I have men's cat basketball. A lot of that's because Mizzou stinks. Um, wow. But it's, it's because of what we are seeing, especially from like South Carolina, LSU, and Caitlin Clark. Some of the the level of play right now is amazing. The last two games while she was chasing that record that she beat last night, I, I, st- I found myself stopping to watch the games, which, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be straight. I don't typically do. Sure. But – her and the way she played, and this was the same case with Angel Reese last year. I mean, I, I stopped what I was doing to watch some of those games for LSU because it was impressive. But watching that game last night with Caitlin Clark, specifically the shot that gave her the record, there's no defense for it. Unbelievable. There's no defense for that. Like, defensively, you can't play that, which I always find. I don't care if you're female sports, youth sports, men's sports. When you can play the game like that where you can't defend it, I'm all I'm all eyes. Coming yeah. up next, Greg Wyshynski here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All the way to Nugent Hopkins near wing. Now to McDavid. Back door in front. Two save. Bennington's made three beauties on this penalty kill. One of the best goalies in the NHL was on full display last night as Jordan Bennington puts on a show here in St. Louis against the Edmonton Oilers, a team that had won, I believe it was, what, 18 of their last 20 games? And right now we're going out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Greg Wyshynski. He's an ESPN NHL analyst. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Wyshynski, at his last name, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. We always enjoy having him here on the show. Greg, how you doing, man? Well, somebody better tell the uh, 10 players and 10 executives in our uh, poll the other day that Bennington is one of the best goalies in the NHL because they left him off. They left Jacob Markstrom off, who's been like clearly one of the better goalies this year. It was an interesting list, but uh, look, man, I mean, you know, as per usual, you know, depending on which two, which two weeks you're looking at, uh, he's either the man or, or, or he's forgotten. You know, what's, what's interesting that you said that, Greg, because I saw somebody also commented to you on, on Twitter about another goaltender that wasn't on the list, and you had said, like, this list was done in January. So if you think that list was done again right now, and Jordan Bennington has played, I think it's, what, eight victories in his last ten games, would you put him in that top ten, or do you think others would put him in that top ten today? I mean, it's possible, only because, you know, goaltending is such a flavor-of-the-moment type proposition. But honestly, again, like, you know, the consistency of this guy has always been an issue. Um, You know, like I joked about it before, but it really is one of these deals where depending on the month, he's either a guy that should be in the conversation for 
you know, Team Canada's Olympic goalie, or or he's a guy that might lose his job to his backup. I mean, there's there's no real in between for Jordan Bennington. So, look, I, I was I was surprised by some of the results in that poll. I mean, there were some goalies, you know, whether it's Markstrom or Tristan Jerry or, or a few others that I was surprised didn't get more of more play. But you know, I I constantly have people uh, harping at me about how I never played the game or I've never been in the NHL and I should shut my mouth. Well, then I find 20 guys that have played the game that are in the NHL and then they make their decision and they don't know anything. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do. Greg, it's got to be you and Dom from The Athletic. You have to be the two guys that get the most hate tweets because of articles that you guys work on. Yeah, but the difference is, is that like I actually you know, put my... Dom can hide behind a computer. Like he just uses a, a little computer and an abacus and says, don't yell at me. This is what the computer said. And then meanwhile, you know, my bottom line. So that's different. I should just like, I should just stop claiming that it's my own opinion and just claim that the, the war game supercomputer is, is the one that's actually making me say these things. Well, you tried that. You tried that in this. Yeah, you, you look did, what you happened. You did the thing, and you, you said, oh, no, 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 this is the general managers and the coaches and the players. They're the ones that are making the terrible opinions up. And then you, you still get the hate mail, of course. Uh, by the way, you just you, I, I think you and Alex just became best friends. We did, we did, Dom, Greg. So, we did, Greg. Uh, we, we can move forward beyond that. I did feel, Greg, as I was reading your piece, it seems to me like there are seven like definitive, no doubt about it, guys, that just had to be on this list. Like From You Say Sorrows up, I I can't really make an argument for Jordan Bennington over any of those guys. It felt like there was a teardrop beyond that. And then it's like, okay, who do you want as your flavor of the month in the eight through 10 range? Is that how you felt as you were looking at it? Yeah, kind of. And and then again, like the the ones that made the list by and large, there's some that if, if we were really going to go based on the numbers this year and, and the exercise was like, who are the top 10 players at each position in, in 2024, then, you know, you could make the argument that Jake Ottinger shouldn't be there. You could make the argument that UC Soros shouldn't be there. I mean, as, as crazy as that sounds, like, that's, that's the bottom line right now is that you have some guys that are, are a bit more maybe reputation-based than, than we'd like to admit. Um, and, and again, it's not to say that they're not going to rebound. I mean, you, you, clearly, like, UC Soros showed last year in the last – um, you know, two months of the season that he can turn his season around pretty quickly. Uh, Jake Ottinger was fantastic for most of last season, but he's just not been great this year. So it's not to say they don't belong on the list. It's just to say that, you know, if you're taking like a current snapshot of these guys, there were probably some name goalies that are on the list that probably didn't even belong on there. So, so, Greg, right now, we, us in St. Louis have a lot more optimism about this team than, say, two months ago because of the way that they've played. They've won eight of their last ten games. Nationally, perspective, you look at the Blues, do you feel different about this team than maybe you did back in the beginning of January? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they really seem like they're putting it together under Drew Bannister. Um, you know, I think last night's win is certainly the kind of win that's going to grab people's attention if only because of the, the final score and also because of how incredibly hot the Oilers have been for the last month. Um, you know, I, I, I think what was interesting about last night's game and just uh, reading some post-game comments was just how many guys 
of, of, of name recognition came to play, you know, you know, and, and you look at the stats, Robert Thomas has been, you know, on track to, to be a star if he wasn't a star already. But I mean, I really think this is his true star making year with the way that he's played. Kyrou's numbers have clearly trended up since the coaching change. You know, Jake neighbors has been a revelation for this team. So there's a lot going for them. That's real good. Um, I, I, I can't, cement them as a playoff team despite how well they played just because of how busy and noisy that wild card spot is in the western conference um not only in 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 the teams involved we didn't exactly think would be involved like the la kings but just how many teams seem to yo-yo behind the top two spots you know depending on the week the kraken depending on the week the flames you know the 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 predators probably still have a run left in them uh, so it's it's going to be a real chaotic finish, but the Blues have certainly asserted themselves in ways that I think a lot of us didn't expect. Greg, every year, and we're talking to Greg Amsinger of ESPN.com joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Every year we get kind of to this point in the season and we say to ourselves, all right, who are the real contenders in the Western Conference, right? And in, in previous seasons, it's kind of felt pretty obvious as to who they were, Vegas, Colorado, et cetera. And they're just so far beyond what the other teams were in the West that it almost felt like it was two different leagues that you were playing in. When you look at the Western Conference this year, do you see a significant tier break between the teams at the top and then maybe what's going on right now in, in the middle portion? How do you feel about the best teams in the West this year compared to re, uh, recent seasons? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think the top three in both divisions are on a different tier than the teams that are in the wild card right now. You know, I, and, and I think that you can make the argument that the Vancouver Canucks are on a different tier than everybody else. You know, through all of the turbulence that we've had, of teams kind of like ebbing and flowing in the Western Conference. They're the team that has stayed as steady as possible. Their goal differential is insane. And the, the, as I've said before, like the biggest stat for the Vancouver Canucks this season isn't goals, isn't assists, isn't goals against average. It's games played. Like they're, they're five core guys, uh, Patterson, Hughes, Besser, JT Miller, Thatcher Demko, their goalie, have all stayed remarkably healthy for them in ways that they haven't in the past. And so maybe that's kind of like count your blessings because, you know, teams don't usually stay healthy for the entire run of the season. But if, if all those five guys are healthy and they're going, uh, I think Vancouver is shown to be the best team in the league this year. I just said Greg Amsinger. I apologize. We thought, I, I, I was don't for think Greg, Greg Wyshynski has any takes on, on Sonny Gray and what he's going to do for the Cardinals rotation. Hey, Greg, so, how do you feel about the Cardinals this year? Look, <laughs> listen, listen, man. My, like Telemarketers have butchered my name ten ways on Sunday, so it, <laughs> at, this, at this point, I just, I just roll with it. I can only imagine how many... Greg Wyshynski yeah. is our guest here on 101. I can only imagine how many pronunciations you've heard in that one, Greg. A hey, final one, uh, and of course, trade deadline is approaching fast. You're going to be talking about it for the next two weeks. I think a lot of people saw the Blues as possibly sellers. Now yeah. we don't know what they're going to do, but from a selling perspective, are there names that are intriguing in St. Louis now compared to at the beginning of the season? No, I don't think much has changed. I mean, like, Bushnevich obviously is a name that you hear a lot around the league as far as players that would be interesting to acquire. I mean, his skill set, his versatility in the lineup is, is all things that, that teams are searching for. But, you know, the, the one thing about the trade deadline and the Blues that, that I always come back to is I, I think, you know, Doug Armstrong has always been someone who has been candid and, and pretty forthright with, with what temperature he believes his team is at. You know, he's a guy that has not been afraid to wave the white flag in the past 
to say, I don't think this team's good enough to win. We're going to sell. Um, and he's also been a guy that's been aggressive in the past at the deadline. So I, I trust that he knows what this team is. I trust that he knows what to do now that could impact future seasons and, and what maybe not to do now that, that could do the same thing. Um, but it should be an interesting trade deadline across the league. I think goalies are going to be at a premium. There's a lot of teams that, that need to figure out their goaltending situation and figuring it out could mean making or missing the playoffs. And then obviously with the action that we've had early with Elias Lindholm going to Vancouver and, and Sean Monahan going to Winnipeg, uh, if you've got a center uh, on, say, an expiring contract or a short, short-term contract, you're going to do yourself pretty well at the trade deadline because there aren't many available. Greg, next time you come on, we'll certainly be asking you about the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll yeah. go ahead and get some Cardinals and Blues taken one from you. We'll, we'll do that. Uh, well, I apologize for the mix-up. <laughs> listen, as a, as a Mets fan, I can guarantee you, you don't want to know my feelings about the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> Very true about that Touché. one. We'll talk about 2006 yeah. together. Greg Wyshynski <laughs> joins us. Always appreciate his time here on the show. Hey, man, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We'll talk with you again soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me. See, Greg. Got it. That's Greg Wyshynski, uh, one of the best in the business. Appreciate his time for joining us, as always. And coming up next, we're going to be joined in person by Jake Neighbors, Blues forward, having himself one hell of a season. We'll talk to him about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to BK and Ferrario alongside Alex Ferrario and Brandon Kylie. We're broadcasting live at the Centene Community Ice Center at the E&B Granite Studios, and we are happy to be joined in person by Jake Neighbors, Blues Forward here on 101 ESPN. Jake, appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having I'd me, I'd say thanks for avoiding going home early in the, the snowpocalypse that's <laughs> happening in St. Louis, but you're from Canada. This is like, this is off-season weather for you, right? Yeah, this is nothing for me. Um, I actually, the guy I bought my car off of was begging me to get some winter tires. Like, <laughs> and I was like, buddy, this is, I'm going to be all right. I've driven in way worse than this. So. Buddy, I don't need winter tires. I'm yeah, good to go I have this. a pair. I could have put them on, but I was like, it's probably going to be a week-long winter. Yeah. So. You're going, you, it was 70 degrees last week when you were guys <laughs> out in Canada, and you yeah. come home and it's this. Yeah. No, it's it's been nice. I love the weather here. Yeah. It's way better than home. So. Yeah. yeah. Jake, your team is coming together in a significant way right now. You guys are playing some really inspired hockey. Last night, I mean, I, I called it earlier today maybe your best win of the season so far what's changed what's clicked for you guys can can you feel that in the room as well that things are starting to come together yeah absolutely I think it's it's kind of a sneaky confidence that we have within our within our group and I think we're just buying into playing a you know a smart game uh, it's nothing too flashy and at times doesn't look great and it's not pretty but uh, it can be effective and I think when we when we buy in and play the right way you know we can be a really hard team to beat we got depth on the lineup our goaltending is unbelievable um, and you know our special teams have been very good so um, you know when you when you're clicking at a high rate on special teams your goalies are playing like that it's uh, it makes it easy to win games us nerds when we talk <laughs> on the air about hockey Jake we don't know what the hell we're talking about but we always talk when we hear the coaches and you guys talk about the north-south style of hockey being a lot more direct with your game from a player's perspective is that a tough thing to do through an 82-game schedule? Because everybody seems to go in and out of that style at times. Yeah, I think 
I think any game plan is hard to execute on an 82-game schedule. But, um, yeah, this one requires a lot of work. There's no secrets to it. And, um, you know, it can be tough some nights when you're, when you're not feeling it. You don't got your legs or whatever. But um, I think for the most part, you know, we've been on a good stretch lately and um, even before the break. And, um, you know, it's been nice. Guys are committing to, you know, playing the right way, getting pucks in, uh, playing behind their D and, um, you know, getting to the net a lot more, a lot, of, a lot more guys inside uh, in the O-zone and stuff like that. And, uh, for the most part, been defending well so it's it's been fun it seems it's contagious like i've talked about this on one of our post games with joe vitale you play such a brand of hockey that i just don't think a lot of guys play in the national hockey league where you desire to be in front of the net that's where the play takes place and from the the beginning of january up until now it feels like everybody else on the team is playing that way is it contagious I think so. I think, um, you know, it's just a commitment from everyone to want to get there. And, um, you know, for me, I'm not a player who's going to have success if I'm playing East-West and I'm playing on the perimeter. I'm a guy that is effective in front of the net. And, um, you know, I think my line mates need me to do that. And obviously on the power play, um, try to be there as much as I can. So, um, you know, it's important for me. I think I'm effective there and that's kind of my role. And, um, you know, I think a lot of other guys are doing a really good job of it as well. Um, and it's it's creating more goals and a lot more success for us. Jake, we talked to Jeremy Rutherford every week on our show, and he asked you over the weekend, did you see yourself as a potential 20-goal scorer this year? You're, you're now one goal away from being that at the age of 21. What, what has this season been like for you to be able to experience this kind of success at the NHL level? Yeah, a bit of a surprise. I don't think I've really looked into it too much yet. It's sure. um, obviously have, you know, more games to play and the season's not over. And, um, you know, I can't just pack it in now. i got to <laughs> continue to to push and become better. And obviously, I'm still 21 years old, right? So there's a lot of development for me still yet to to work on my game and be consistent um, and, you know, bring it on every night. So, um, but it's been nice. I, you know, you'd be lying if you said personal success isn't nice for the confidence and stuff, but, um, you know, I think I'm just a benefactor of a lot of people around me. I'm being put in really good positions by my coaching staff and obviously my line mates, the guys that I'm playing with, the D, like, it's really, truly, a, you know, net front guys, it's not great individual efforts um, that get them goals. It's usually a product of their line mates and guys around them. Do you... St- are you feeling it in the NHL now that guys are getting annoyed playing against you? Like watching games, it feels like players players have to circle you because they know you're going to be in front of the net. They know you're going to finish the the, the check. And at 21 years old, I gotta imagine that resonates for you a little bit. I'm yeah. I mean, I hope it's annoying. <laughs> I, hope it's, I hope it's having some sort of effect. It's not for us. We team. love it. Yeah, but. Uh, no, it's just a mentality, right? And I think it, it you know, it wears down uh, teams. Uh, you make it hard with them at the net front. They gotta compete and exert energy to try and get you out of the pain or whatever it may be. So um, I think it's just you know a mindset to continue to go there. And um, you know, I think it makes it you know obviously hard on other teams. And and when you're going there lots, you're gonna get in little scuffles and and things like that. So that can play into your into your hand as well. Blues forward Jake Neighbors is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Jake, had you had a Gordie Howe hat trick in your career previously prior to what you had over the weekend? Never. No, not in junior, never. So, What was that like for you? Uh, it, was, it was cool. Um, it, you know, it's uh, something kind of cool, you know. Sure. I don't really know what else to say about it. it was, <laughs> the goal and the assists were nice and, um, you know, just kind of the way the game was going and they were starting to run around a little bit and guy took a run at me. I didn't like it. I got mad and... <laughs> 
fought someone I probably shouldn't fight. Too, <laughs> I, too big of a guy. <laughs> I told Joe at the intermission because I think it was like, what, you guys were up by four goals at that time? I told Joe, I said, man, he's a goal and an assist. I said, he's a fight away. <laughs> Joe's like, he's not going to get one. It's like you're up by four. I said, I don't think Jake really cares about that. Yeah, and, no. and then that took place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just... You play to the end, right? And it's just it's an emotional game, and yeah. sometimes yeah, emotion gets out of control. And um, I hadn't fought yet this year either, and I was taking some heat for it, so <laughs> I needed to get in one eventually. And uh, it was a good time. For uh, it who's again. giving the most heat? I got to think it's like Tyler Tucker or Joel Hofer giving Hazy. you the most heat, right? Hazy, Hazy was really, really, yeah. because uh, well, I had a couple last year that I did pretty well in, and. And I think earlier in the year we were just talking about him. I'm like, have you ever fought? He's like, yeah, once. And I was like, oh, so I have more than you? And he's like, I've never seen you fight. Like, what are you talking about? And then and then it took 50 games or whatever it was to fight. And he looked at me after the game. He's like, fine. <laughs> Puts him on notice. Yeah. Well, Jake, the, the last time the Blues were in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken, you were playing in the junior hockey still. You were part of the organization, but you weren't a part of that playoff run. How much is that? How strong is that itch for you to get the playoffs in St. Louis to get a taste of it in the NHL? Yeah, it's everything. It's what you want as a player. You want to play in the playoffs and compete for the Stanley Cup, and um, you know it's still kind of surreal to think that you can be in that position. And, yeah. Um, but you know, I think we have a really good team, and um, you know, I think we're going to make a really strong push and uh, hopefully get in. And, and once you're in, anything can happen. So um, it's really exciting for me personally, and I think exciting for everybody in that locker room. We. Obviously had a down year last year and weren't in the playoffs. And, um, you know, I think the excitement and the, the want to get back in the playoffs has been very high. Jake, I, I know you talked earlier about how great your goaltending has been. And Benner was once again spectacular last night. Put yourself on the other team for a second. Imagine instead of having Benner behind you, you are somebody that is trying to score on him. When you ha- see him make one of those saves like what he did last night a couple of different times, what does that do for an opposing team where – you feel like you've got one, and then suddenly this guy comes up with such a spectacular save. Yeah, I think it can be discouraging for sure. Um, I mean, those two saves you made in the first on the power play were just Unbelievable. incredible. <laughs> uh, watching them again uh, last night on my phone was it's crazy, man, <laughs> that he's making these saves. And, um, you know, it's momentum changer for us. And obviously that's one of the best power plays in the league, has been for years, and if I think best percentage ever in yeah. NHL history last year. So. Um. Yeah, those are those are big saves to keep us in the game, and he seems to do it every single game. And we have so much confidence in him, and and obviously it uh, puts a wrench in the mental game of other teams. I think. Yeah. Final one for me, Jake. Power play. I know a lot of people are talking about it. It's had a massive success over these last couple of months. What are you seeing in games on those power plays that's leading to that success? Yeah, I think we're just being direct. Um, you know, trying to get a lot more pucks to the net and get the puck down low, bring it to the cage, and have numbers and, and guys around there. And I think you're going to find success that way. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Otter does a great job with us before every game of giving us, you know, tendencies that the other kill has and, um, you know, what's going to work against them. And I think guys have done a good job of, of listening to that and then going out there and executing it. So um, it's been nice. Obviously, it wasn't where we wanted it to be earlier in the year. And, um, you know, obviously having a lot more success now that it's clicking. Final question. We'll get you out of here on this. When you were growing up, there's, there's not a lot of power forwards around the league anymore the way that there once was. Who were the guys that you watched, that you modeled your game after, or that you just enjoyed watching around the NHL as you were growing up? Actually, funny enough, it was Jordan Eberle, which I don't think we play similar games. I actually work out and skate with Ebbs in the summers now, so um, 
that's kind of a full circle moment, pretty cool moment. But he was my favorite player growing up. I think guys that um, I probably emulated my game around were like Jonathan Taves and, mm-hmm. um, you know, later on kind of like Matty Kachuk when he came into the league was fun to watch. And I liked the way he played and um, obviously his brother Brady too. Um tough thing for me is these guys that i like watching are much bigger than me so uh, it's hard for me to kind of do guys give you crap about it that you you're you know six foot and you yeah. play like you're six five in front of the net not really i mean um you know i'm thick i like to think i'm pretty strong um <laughs> so it's it's just more of a mindset for me i think rather than having the frame to do it um makes it a bit harder that i'm smaller but um yeah, I think it's just it's a mindset, right? And wanting to be physical, I think you can do it at any size. And um, yeah, so I I think those guys for sure though they were just the way they impacted games, even if they weren't getting points or or uh, you know scoring, they were impacting the game in one way or another, whether it was you know emotion or you know being physical or whatever it was. So you know those guys are they're fun to watch, and I think I definitely emulate my game after. Them. Well, Jake, we've been having an absolute blast watching you guys play yeah. over the last twenty games or so. It's it's been really a, a joy, and it's been fun to watch you uh, flourish the way that you have so far this year. So continued success for all of you guys. We wish you nothing but the best, and thanks for hopping on with us today, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, nice chatting with you again. That's Jake Neighbors. Appreciate his time as always. We'll be right back here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. read you a quote from Nolan Arenado. This is courtesy of Jeff Jones on Twitter. Our team was just all young guys, and I don't mean this in a bad way. Editorial. He means it in a bad way. But they were kind of overrun to the club. They kind of overran the clubhouse, and usually the veterans are the ones that run the clubhouse. And I don't mean that in the way that they were disrespectful. It wasn't anything like that. But there were just so many of them. And I think that if you want to get the best out of the young guys, they've got to see how the veterans do it. All-stars, players that have been there before. And then that's just kind of how you get them better. But if they don't have those types of figures, it's hard for that to happen. I know me and Goldie were there, but there's only, it doesn't, we're not really vocal people either. So it's nice to have Carp, who's not afraid to go up to people and talk to them and to hold them accountable. I hate this team so much. I hate it. I hate it so much. Really? Really? Can we we go down the list of guys that were on this team last year and just tell me if you feel like they're they're young lads that took over the the clubhouse? Jack Flaherty. No. Don't go to the the pitcher side of things, by the way, because we've seen how it works in the clubhouse. He's with the position players. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what no, to do. No, but I'm just like, it's even worse on the position player side if you go through yeah. it that way. Yeah. Like, who's he talking? Brendan Donovan? The, does that guy hold himself as if he's some young guy? Paul no. DeYoung. Tommy Edman, Paul Goldschmidt. Like, Nolan Gorman, sure, he he's young. Is is that the guy we're talking about, though? You go to the outfield, like Dylan Carlson. They, they all talk about him as if he's like this 25-year-old dude that acts like he's 40. He's He's been considered to be kind of the Jake Neighbors of the Cardinals in terms of the maturity that he uh, exudes. Lars Nupar, who hangs out with Nolan Arenado not only at his warehouse out in California, but takes trips to Japan together. I don't think that's who he's talking about. Yeah, Jordan Walker is a pretty young guy, but again, they talk about him like he... 
he presented himself like he's this 35-year-old 10-year veteran. So, listen, man, far be it for me to call out Nolan Arenado. They had Wilson Contreras in that locker room last year. Like, Andrew Kisner was a guy that had been with the club for five years at this point. He's not a young player anymore. I just totally dismiss this notion. I think it's complete nonsense. You know what this is? This is the 13-year-old that gets caught by their parents lying and just keeps trying to come up with more excuses as to why they didn't lie. Well, it was because of this. No, it was because of this. No, it was because of this. Like, just stop it already. Stop trying to find reasons why this team is bad last year and stop trying to make us believe that the offseason signings were good signings because you needed those grizzled vets to grab a hold of somebody. Who is Matt Carpenter grabbing a hold of this season and saying, you're doing it wrong, kid. You need to do it like this. You think he's going to do that to Jordan Walker? You think he's going to do that to Matt or to um, to Mason Wynn? Who cares? Also, maybe they needed that. Like, can I just be the one that maybe this is a good thing that they're getting a little bit younger and that it's not all one way or uh, the highway. That's not the cardinal way. Like, some of that can be a breath of fresh air in a clubhouse. Maybe being so stuffy and stubborn about the way that you go about things ended up being why Wilson Contreras was pushed off to the side, thrown under the bus, and then reversed back onto him again last year. Maybe some of this can be helpful. Maybe you should learn from some of these kids that are approaching things a little differently than you do. I understand. Last year was the season from hell for a million different reasons. The pitching broke. There was injuries all over the place. The clubhouse culture clearly, based on everything we've heard since the end of last season, was crumbling. Like There was a lot of stuff going on. Maybe the losing led to the bad culture. Maybe the bad culture led to the losing. Whatever the reason, this, to me, is way overdoing it, man. And, like, I, I think the biggest part of this quote is the following. I know me and Goldie were there, but there's only, it doesn't, we're not really vocal people either. So, in other words, we're not leaders. Yeah, so, in other words, which is fine, by the way. Like, it's okay that they aren't those guys, but I think the Cardinals believed that they were. And then when things went south, when they were actually... Because it's easy to lead when everything's going well, man. It's really easy to be a leader on that team when everybody's pulling in the same direction and you've got Yachty and you've got Albert and you've got Wayno and you've got guys that you can fall on of like, hey, if anybody's like kind of dragging, these guys will take care of that for us. We just can go ahead and continue to show by leading by example what you need to do, right? Well, when things are going poorly and you've got a bunch of different people that are pulling in a bunch of different directions and you got to have some real candid conversations inside of the clubhouse, that can't just be the manager. It also has to happen from the leaders of the team. And, hey, man, I'm sorry, Goldie Arenado, part of the money that you're paying is for you to be a leader on the team. That is part of what it comes with. And if they're unwilling or unable to do that, hey, at least the Cardinals know now. At least the Cardinals now can go into a season understanding those guys we can't ask to do that part of the job. We can ask them to hit 275 and hit 30 bombs and drive in 100 for Nolan Arenado. Like, that can be something we can ask of him. We can't ask him to do the other stuff, though. And I, I find that to be a little disappointing, personally, but at least now they know. At least now they, they won't ask him to do that in 2024 or beyond. I, I think we all consider the Atlanta Braves a winning team, right? A team that's known how to win for the last couple of years, correct? Yeah. Let me let me read you the ages of their position players. 29-year-old starting catcher, 27-year-old starting second baseman, 29-year-old starting shortstop, 29-year-old utility man, 29-year-old first baseman, 26-year-old third baseman. Outfield, 26 years old, 22 years old, 24 years old. 
Atlanta knows how to win, and they got a bunch of dudes that are under the age of 30. They don't need guys who have gray in their beard so that they can grab a hold of a player and say, you're not doing it the veteran way, kiddo. We need you to play this way. No. You know what you need? Talent. Talent. And guess what, Nolan? Because you're young inexperienced clubhouse on the position side had issues. They weren't the problem last year. The problem was your pitching staff, and they weren't young. They were old, and now you just got older. Yeah, and and let's look in a mirror real quick, Nolan Arnato. That was not a Nolan Arnato type year. A big reason for the Cardinals not having success last year was because Nolan Arnato was not an all-star caliber player. He wasn't even a gold-glove caliber defender. And look, now part of that is injuries. I totally understand that. But he's going to have to get back to that level and forget the leadership aspect of it. I'm tired of talking about this team and their leadership because the way they're going to win is if they have their guys show up and play like they're supposed to. They need to be the dudes. And it is disappointing that Goldie and Arnado clearly, by this comment, basically admitting so that they're not the leaders that they need in that clubhouse. You know what? That's fine. But let's let's not complain then when the younger guys take your job in that leadership void. Brendan Donovan. We talked about it at winter warm-up, man. Brandon Donovan sounds like the next leader of this Cardinals team. And now it almost feels like, oh, well, we were too young. That that young voice that was coming up as the leader, that can't happen. Let's bring in a Matt Carpenter to take over that role. That's frustrating. I just find it to be an incredibly bad look. I do. I do, too. And, and I, I like Nolan Arenado. I, he's one of my favorite baseball players. Just watching him on the field. forget Set aside any of the comments off of it, but just uh, watching him play, I, I find him to be amazing. Like Defensively, what he does at third base and – Nobody would consider Nolan Arenado to be one of the more athletic third basemen in the league, but he finds a way, and he wills his team at times as well to victory. But, man, some of the, some of the comments that we've heard from him over the last calendar year now have just been off-putting, and I, I don't understand it. I don't it, think he knows how to handle adversity. M- maybe. I don't think he knows how to handle adversity because he's been through so much of it with Colorado, and the problem for me is – your best players, they're the ones that you look to when you need adversity. It's For not sure. Matt Carpenter when your team's going to go through adversity because Matt Carpenter's going to have one at-bat through maybe the entire season. You look towards Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt when your team is in a bind, just like Atlanta turns to Ronald Acuna Jr. and Matt Olson, just like Philadelphia turns to Bryce Harper, just like the Dodgers turn to Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. I think you got two guys that don't know how to handle adversity when things go bad, and I'm sorry, but you can't win if your best players don't know how to handle adversity. That's what I talked about with T-Bone a couple of weeks ago when you were out, and I had the same take, Alex, and I figured that you would be on my side on this one. And I'm not saying that T-Bone's wrong, but when, when I hear quotes like this, it, it, does, it feels strange. It, it feels really odd that this is the way that he's approaching it. Like, I don't even know what the right way to approach it is because Arenado did say last year this. Like he said, we're a really young team. And we said at the time, I I just – I don't think it's true. Like if you look at any number that shows you what the average age is or like the number of players over a specific – the Cardinals were not a young team last year. That that, that just – it was factually incorrect. In experience, I, I suppose maybe you could make that argument because some of the players that are quote-unquote – older have not had a ton of major league experience but a lot of those guys like part of what makes them into players that the Cardinals have believed in is that they have maturity and so I I'm just really confused 
by these kinds of comments at this point in the offseason when you're starting to get ready for a new season? Like What I would have liked to have he- heard earlier today, because Nolan Arnado was asked about this, so it, it's something that he had to respond to. He, he was asked, hey, last year you said the team was really young. You wanted them to add more veterans uh, to help with the leadership inside of the clubhouse. What was your response to uh, Matt Carpenter being added? That was specifically the guy that they asked him about. Because he's good friends with them, of sure. course. And I think the answer, at least to me, is is pretty simple there where you say, hey, you know, a lot went wrong for us last year. One of the many things that went wrong, I thought we got pretty young really quickly. And having a guy like Matt, I think, is going to help with me, Goldie, Matt Carpenter among the players. And we can add in Wilson Contreras as a part of that as well. I I think we're going to have a much better opportunity this year because we've got Matt in this clubhouse. That's it. You don't have to push down anybody else. You just prop everybody up. And that's what it feels like this is doing is Arenado is not only propping up the fact that they have Matt Carpenter, but also pushing down. If I'm a young player in the clubhouse and I see one of these quotes from him, I'm thinking to myself, is he talking about me? And then you kind of keep – you're like, okay, maybe I need to fade in the background a little bit more. This is a a guy that's making $35 million, a face of the franchise player, and he's essentially calling out the young players on the team. I just – uh, to me, that is such a bad it, look for one of the best this, players on your team this is on how the you, first day that he's arrived in camp. This is how you build clips. By the way, he arrived later yeah. than yeah. everybody else. It, it feels like he's creating The young guys a were there before you, yeah. Nolan. They are showing... This is how you create clicks. This is how young players don't want to hang out with the veteran players because the veteran players are all angry because we're young and we like this type of like this is this is not a welcoming environment to come into a team and say we're ready to win a championship this is we got too many young kids on our team now we need more veterans and push it together maybe we're blowing this out of proportion because maybe we're just angry no, i i think if you hear about clubhouse culture and look we'll ask ali marble about i'd say what a month into the year hey how's the clubhouse doing you know you guys preached all off season they'll say great that it was an issue nolan arnado talked about it being an issue if I hear a quote a month into the year that the clubhouse culture is not really great, I can circle this quote right here. I can circle this quote on day, what are we, three of training camp? For Again, him day one. By the, well, yeah, him day one. Hey. By the way, day three of training camp, all three days have had bad vibes, guys. All three days have had bad vibes Just for a team up that's good looking to bounce back. So, I don't know. It does. It feels more like a guy that is driving more of a – and I don't, I'm not saying he's doing it on purpose, but he is kind of splitting the locker room. And he's doing it on his own doing and not doing the route of, you know, as BK said, just kind of propping everybody up. I just don't understand how you show up after Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn and all of the young, other young guys that were there earlier, and you're now calling out the young guys for what they did in the clubhouse you know a year what? ago. If you're calling out guys that aren't here anymore, then say them by name. They're not on the team anymore. But like, who? who? That's Andrew what I'm Kisner, saying. Kisner, who was listed as the captain? Tyler O'Neill. If the problem was Tyler O'Neill, just say Tyler O'Neill. He was a problem in the clubhouse. We can go ahead and say as much, and there's a reason why he's not here any longer, but he wasn't young. <laughs> like, uh, maybe it was Richie Palacios. This is the thing that's so strange to me. He's like, he wasn't even a young player. And if Nolan is talking about what happened like post-August 1st, well, then that's just weird because this comment also came out earlier than that. It was like, I think, mid-July. I think it was at the All-Star break when he said, hey, we're a really yeah. young team. So he's talking about the guys that were around in July, which is the core group of position players that you're building around. So I, I'll say it again. I think I'm starting to dislike this team. And I hate that I'm doing that because it's it's like my team. They are really building this persona that, like, we are a group of unlikable individuals. They, they the weird suck thing, at though, PR. is so wow. many of them are so incredibly likable. And you know what's funny? It's the young guys that are likable. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, you look up and down this roster, and I think to myself, like, man, Lars Nupar, super affable. Like, what a great personality on this team. Jordan Walker, if you talk to the guy for more than five minutes, you walk away, and the first thing you will, you will say is, oh, my God, that guy is impressive. You think about Mason Wynn, the interview that we did with him right before he was called up, Alex. Mm-hmm. We walked away from that, and all of us had the exact same response, including many of you on the text line, where it's like, wow, I would go to bat for that dude. And Nolan, or by the way, Ali Marmol all offseason has not been able to stop himself. Anytime he's asked about the young core position players, you think he'd talk about Nolan Gorman, Jordan Walker, Lars Newpar, all these different Brendan Donovan. He does. One of the first names, though, that comes out of his mouth is Mason Wynn, and one of the first things he said is, that dude doesn't scare. He wants that guy on the roster. So, like, the young guys that he has, Brendan Donovan, had taken ownership of that clubhouse a year ago, and this offseason was one of the main leaders of the team. The club, Everybody on that team had said as much. Like, the young guys are the ones that you can go into that clubhouse and they'll talk to you after games. And so it's it's just really hard for me to wrap my mind around this idea of the problem for the 2023 Cardinals was that they got too young, the young guys had taken over that clubhouse, and everything went awry. And you know what's going to save them? Da-da-da-da! Captain Carpenter! Yeah, like, what are we doing, man? What's going to save you is that you're healthy, you got better pitching, you got a bullpen that has added multiple new weapons available to you, and your defense is going to improve this year. Oh, by the way, you know what else is going to save you? A better year from Nolan Arenado and a better year from Paul Goldschmidt. That's what's going to help you. It's not going to be because Matt Carpenter exists inside of the clubhouse, which, by the way, I had no problem with him adding Matt Carpenter. I have a problem with the way that Nolan Arenado was talking about it. I, I think it's showing... I think it is showing a misunderstanding of what went wrong a year ago. And he's in there. I'm not. I understand that. But I, I, I am really surprised that this continues to be the way that he talks about all of this stuff. And I, I, I think the vibes could be better on day three of spring training. I get people so angry at me because I'm always so negative about the Cardinals. And why don't you treat the Blues the way that the Cardinals do? I don't think the Blues do this. <laughs> they did. They did two a lot. They, yeah, no, two we years. called them out for it. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. And now, no. I don't think we're blaming young kids. We blame young kids, but I don't I think mean, the team blames young kids. What would we call Cairo two years ago? Yeah. What would we call I mean, Thomas two years ago? I, I would say you know? that what you're seeing right now. We did the, that, but I don't think players did that. Oh, yeah, they did. Who? They even did it earlier this year. Outspoken? Calling out the the divide between the young and the older players and how one side wanted to play one way and the other side wanted to play another. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of that going on in the Blues locker room over the last two seasons. No, they don't do that. (laughs) Okay. Coming up next, the Junk Tree on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. All right, let's dive into the Junk Drawer. I need some parent advice from my guy, Alex Ferrario. I don't know if I'd ask me that, but go for it. (laughs) So we are officially at the stage where uh, baby boy is getting ready to start climbing on stuff. Oh, yeah. He is uh, He's moving around. He's got the army crawl down. He's very close to the full-on, all fours, crawling on the ground, ready to go, right? We, we've got the playpen ready for the living room. Whenever we need it, it's going up. Yep. 
what else should I need to be prepared for? Because it feels like there's a lot that I'm un unprepared for that I probably should be. A, a lot of bruises on your child to where when you go out in public, you actually are concerned for the way that people look at you. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, because baby boy is going to fall all the time. Emma's at that stage right now. She's 18 months well, past that stage, but she's climbing on everything. And as she climbs on everything, she falls backwards sure. off of everything and hits her head, hits her body. And like some of it's like, okay, we get to learn that like this is what happens when you fall. You get hurt and you get up and you try it again. Um, but that and you're going to have to you're going to have to learn how to multitask 24/7. And if you haven't learned that yet, well now you're going to learn the the wonderful art of you doing something, let's say that you're the stove and you're cooking dinner right yeah. now and you're flipping and then all of a sudden you turn and your kid's hanging off of the table. Ah, Jesus! <laughs> and you run over there and you pick them up. You can do a lot of things. My wife is the master of this. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see this beautiful work of art that I'm about to do. My wife can stir something with her foot. <laughs> she can hold her kid like this while pouring milk for her other child. Sure. And she can do this in a motion <laughs> that I don't know is physically possible. I don't possible. know what you're doing there. <laughs> it was, uh, if you look at it, you might find this like in the Kama Sutra or something too. <laughs> but she can do three things at once with three different body parts. And let me tell you something, God bless women because I don't know how you do it. Meanwhile, I have to hold one kid like this and I'm trying to stir eggs and flip them on the floor because I don't know how to do anything multitasking. So... I, we are also at the place where Luca is getting super picky. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he's refusing bottles now. It's like, uh-uh, I don't drink that. I want the good food. And then we'll give him the food. You know, he's eating sweet potato, a bunch of vegetables, fruits, whatever. And he's like, ah, uh, I don't want that version of oh, the food yeah. that I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, the, the pickiness I want is... the other one mm -hmm. that I'm looking for. Yep. It's like, hold on, dude. A month ago, you were exclusive to breast milk, and now we're putting all this oh, good yeah. stuff in front of you. You, you got... You know, you got mashed potatoes, you've nope. got carrots, you've got apples, you've nope. got blueberries, all these different things. Nope. And he's over here like, mm-mm, so completely ungrateful. Mm -hmm. We made basically mashed potatoes, white red potatoes the other day. Got it all ready to go for him, did all the fixings. He's got it. It's right, right in front of him. He's looking excited, man. This is going to be well, the day. Of course, day. he thinks the food looks great. And then I put it into his mouth. He's like, pfft, pfft, I don't want that. <laughs> Dude, yep. what, I have this massive thing of mashed potatoes for you that we're going to freeze and feed you for the next, like, six weeks. Uh -huh. And yeah. he's like, ah, I don't like any of it. Throw it away. This, Put it behind a lock and key. I want nothing to do with I it. I hate to break this to you, buddy, but get ready to do that for the next three years oh, because God. my three-year-old is still doing that to this good, day. Good, get good, used good. to um, – you feel like a bad parent because you're feeding your kid fried food or they're not eating much, but get used to a lot of dino nuggets, mac and cheese, and milk. Nothing with color. Just nothing with color. Brown, yellow. Now, my three-year-old has become an odd individual, and now she, all, she loves eating red and yellow peppers. You cut them up, she'll devour an entire pepper so in about five minutes. She loves them. Uh, my what about youngest the green peppers though. No, doesn't like green peppers. <laughs> doesn't course. like green peppers. My youngest refuses any of that. But if you put a nice cup of yogurt in front of her, she will devour it. Um, so have fun with the picky eating because there is there was a stretch for about a month where my daughter drank milk and ate bread. And my wife was like, We can't abuse our child this way. And I said, When she's hungry, she'll eat. And she did. It just became peppers. So yeah, you're uh, you're in for it, my man. You know what you should do? 
you and Kara should have another one. <laughs> <laughs> That's been your your answer I said, so far. It takes the stress away from one when you're like, yeah, but I got one, and now I got to focus on the other. That's the classic. Oh, your arm hurts? Let me break your leg real yeah, quick. Yeah. You'll stop thinking about that arm real quick. Yeah, I got two broken arms and one leg. He's Alex. That's T-Bone. I'm VK. We're broadcasting live in the ENV Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. We've got Grant Francis doing a fantastic job for us back in the studio. Coming up next, Rob Manfred. Only five years left of his run as the commissioner in Major oh, League Baseball. No. No What's less? he going to be remembered for? And is this something that could ultimately be added to his legacy? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So Rob Manfred said as much yesterday that he's going to be uh, some in charge of baseball. I apologize. Got to turn off my. I thought that was me, and I'm like, <laughs> I just pulled up my map, man. Well, let's take two. Rob Manfred going to call it a reti- call it a career in about five years from now, Alex. He will not yes. be signing a new extension to be Major League Baseball's commissioner. I, I do we all agree that the most likely candidate to replace him is Theo Epstein? Derek Jeter. Didn't Epstein just take a job as owner of he like the did, Red Sox? But- I mean, Derek Jeter. I think they'll go somebody else. You do? Ken yeah. Griffey Jr. I don't Jr. have a name for you. No, I'm just coming not. up with a bunch of different names. Players. Yeah. Which is former the players. Of what the job is for the Ichiro. baseball commissioner. Ichiro would be great. I, I think it'll end up being Theo if I had to guess. I, I think John Moselle has been kind of building towards this over the years. Now, that would be an amazing one. That would be absolutely incredible. Like, think about it. What do you guys think that Rob Manfred's mo- going to be most remembered for? When all's said and done and we look back on his tenure as the commissioner of Major League Baseball, what, what do you think will be... If you want to call it legacy or just what you remember the most about him, what, what is it going to be? <laughs> I, I think the legacy is going to be the pandemic and the team or baseball coming out of it. Like, it's not fair to Manfred because he had no control over something like that. But eh, it is. Over the pandemic or, or uh, what the over team? Over the way that they returned right. to play. But, but, Every well, other sport but, figured it out and they did But what I mean by that is, like, you had no control over going into the pandemic and having to adjust out of it. And the way they adjusted was probably the worst run professional sort out of all of them for how the lockout was, for the rules that they tried to implement, and then, of course, now with the television, everything coming up. So, unfortunately, I think everything surrounding Rob Manfred with Major League Baseball is going to be negative. But, again, I also think a lot of that is because of the pandemic. Yeah, I I think he's going to be remembered pretty negatively as a commissioner, Um, even though, like, the, la- the latest thing he's done for baseball has been great with the pitch clock and the rule changes. But I, I think he- what he's going to be remembered for is creating a divide almost between the players' union and the owners. And, I- and like, that's not solely on him, like the owners and the players' union, like they caused that. But, like, he's the guy. He's the face of it. And the reason I say that is because, I mean, we mentioned the inability to get things worked out coming out of the pandemic. You look at the lockout that happened in 2022 that – Thank goodness for baseball, Aaron Judge hit like 60 home runs and Albert Pujols got to 700 because it made you forget that there was a lockout in 2022. So I think he's going to be remembered as being a guy that almost created more of a divide between the players' union and the commissioner's office with the owners because I don't remember it, and maybe it's just because I don't remember when Seeley retired. I don't remember there being like this massive divide between those two sides. It, it, got, it felt like it was really bad at this point for, for Rob Manford over those two stretches. You had the pandemic. You had, honestly, I think you also have the cheating scandal that's involved with the Astros in there as well. And you've got then the moment where the lockout occurs before 2022. Yeah, I, I mean, it got it, it was 
pretty bad at times with Manfred in office as well. Um, but that's just always the case between the baseball PA and and the owner side of things. I think it got worse with Manfred, and I think he was the reason why. I think Manfred just – he has some of the same issues that Mosellock has at times where he says stuff publicly, and it's like, man, I don't think that's going to play the way that you're expecting it to right now. Which is amazing because, like, Mo, Mo has his own PR, but, like, Rob Manfred has an entire committee of public relations, and they still allow him to say what he says. I mean, remember the hunk of metal yeah. comment that he made? How like, about his golf swing during the pandemic yeah. lockout? <laughs> Like what? What are we? Some of the stuff that he would say is just like, dude, you you have got to test this out in front of somebody else before you try it on a set of reporters. At least attempt it with your wife, you know. Yeah. Like say it to her and let her tell you you sound like an. And, and you I'm know somebody what. that has a tone problem, so I can speak to all <laughs> truth. Of this. Like I, I understand that there's some stuff that I say that I'm like, ah, I didn't have that intended effects. Uh, no. That's not what I thought I was saying there. But you did, and sometimes I do instead. But. I think what he's most going to be remembered for, to, to your point, T-Bone, is starting with the lockout or starting with the 2020 season where you don't find a way to play a, anything approaching a full season. You, you only get the 60 games in, which was basically mandated by the contracts that they had, sta- had, had signed. And then you go into the next season and you, you've got the pandemic that is – or excuse me, you've got the lockout that is on the horizon – You've got the back and forth with everything that take takes place with the Astros and the way that that was handled. Like it was controversy after controversy after controversy from basically 2018 all the way through 2022 ish for like a five year stretch. It seemed like every time baseball was in the national spotlight, it was for something negative. And most of that was a direct reflection of either Rob Manfred or his inability to get his owners on the same page. So to me, that's going to be his legacy. That being said, it's it's not all negative, and there will also be some stuff that's still outstanding. Like, we'll see what happens with Tampa Bay. We'll see what happens with the A's and what happens that. with the relocation slash expansion Him not getting that's coming. expansion is going to be a killer for his resume because that would have been like the next, like, hey, this is a significant positive onto Rob Manfred's legacy. And he basically said in his previous media availability, hey, yeah, that's not going to happen before I'm out of office. The thing that could be a positive for him is is these rule changes. And I know that came, they came with some significant flack from fans at, at the beginning. I think they worked. I think baseball was a better product last year because of the pitch clock, because of the infield shift rules. I, did it change the offense in a significant way? I, I don't think so. But when you're watching a baseball game, it felt different, and sometimes that's that's half the battle, man. It's how does the how does the game make you feel as it's being played? And for Rob Manfred, that he made the game look better a year ago. I could go to a Cardinals game last year, guys. Leave the game after a full nine inning game, and have time to go to Ballpark Village, grab a couple of drinks with some buddies, some friends, whatever, and get home. And the time that it would have taken me in previous seasons to just watch the Cardinals game and leave. I got to go to bed at like 9.30 every night. It was so much better. And I'm just saying this from the perspective of somebody that's got one kid at home. Like, it's just a better product now for anybody that is trying to watch the game. So he does deserve some credit for that because he was the one that was spearheading the rule changes. But I don't think that overcomes all of the other negatives that came with us. So I I agree with that, that I don't think it it will overtake all the negatives that are involved with him. 
and, and maybe this is a hot take, and honestly, I think he probably would have been this no matter what because it feels like it's a given for a commissioner of Major League Baseball. I think the rule changes put him in the Hall of Fame. I, I really believe that because you're right. They Not only did he spearhead it, because he started that. I remember when he took over, the first thing was, yeah, we've got to work on pace of play. We've got to be working on pace of play. And he implemented it through the minors first, then brought it up. And it wasn't like it was brought up and there was like massive failures. Unlike, we're like, remember the NFL, and they're like, hey, we're going to review pass interference. And it was spectacularly a failure. No, he allowed these to kind of see how they play through the minor leagues, adjust them. They're taking their time on an automated strike zone right now for something that's coming in the future. And then when they implemented them, it worked out. I mean, there were some cause for concern with the pitch clock early on, but people adjusted to it very quickly. And by the time you got done with the first month of the season, you noticed that the game was better. It was going faster. You saw attendance was up. And I think a big reason for that is because of what BK's mentioning. You didn't have to sit through a three and a half hour snooze fest. Yeah. And I think it all played out well to where I think that the rule changes are the number one thing that's going to get him into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. And look, I, I think the commissioner's probably going to get in there no matter what. But I, I think that's the number one thing. Like, if he doesn't have the rule changes, it's hard to really look at his resume and go, that's a Hall of Famer. I think the rule changes put him in. He's Tanner Andrickson. That's Alex Ferrario, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, it is the illustrious return of a Ferrario 5 Alex. <gasps> I didn't know what that was when he first did it. Five what? trade candidates that the Blues should be looking for. And how about this? There's not a single defenseman on this list. What? I'm excited for the goalies that are on his Ferrario 5. We'll Whoa. get to it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's officially time for the latest edition of our Ferrario 5. I've been missing this. It's been way too long. You know how I know that it hasn't been a good blue season for the team for the most part this year. What do you mean? We haven't had very many Ferrario 5s. I'd say that's a good thing. There's fewer. Hey, chill out over there. You get your damn T-bone 3s during the Cardinal season. There's fewer Ferrario 5s. Alex doesn't have the same inspiration when the team is firing its head coach. Well, I can't blame them there. (laughs) They're going through the rough start. I did have a one-month grace period where I still needed to sulk. Yeah, there was there was a decent amount of time where it was like, okay, do we want it? No, 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 no Ferrario five, but mm. it's time. Yeah, and Alex Grant, do we have the open? Oh <laughs> baby, oh baby, because you know what, this Blues team's all aboard the hype train. So Grant, Choo-choo! hit that damn open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario Five, a top five list of very random things. So Ferrario, give us your top five. Oh. You know why I love Grant? He knew the open and he knew the music bed that needed to be with it. But without even asking, I love this individual. So let me set this up a little bit for you. We've talked about it's all aboard the hype train. I texted both of you last night. Guys, I'm no longer looking at this as, well, they should probably just stand pat and see what happens. No, I'm all aboard the, I think it's time to pursue something that makes this team better. I know Doug Armstrong's comments to Pierre Lebrun was talking about how, you know, this team's probably in a spot where one move doesn't make you better than anybody else. I don't think one move makes you better than anybody else. But what I do think is one move makes you better than you are right now. Your goaltending might make you better than everybody else. So... The one move and the stipulation I have on this Ferrario 5 is these are targets that you go after if you're buying. 
as Doug Armstrong. And sure, they're a little cautious options. These aren't like top players that you're going to send Jimmy Snuggerud to go get Uh for two months. I don't think that benefits your team. None of these guys are defensemen because, although I do think there's defense that you need, if you were to if you were to pull the, the team or the fan base and say, where does this team need an upgrade? Right now, I think people would say they need another forward to bring depth to their scoring. So that's where I went with this one. So let's head down this past path. Five acquisitions at the forward position that the Blues should pursue come trade deadline time. Number five on this list. I've brought him up in the past. We've talked about him. Anthony DeClaire. Anthony Duclair with the San Jose Sharks this season. Nine goals, 17 points in 48 games. The last two years have not been good for him. But he was also injured last season with the Florida Panthers. He only played 20 games. When he came back in the playoffs, he had four goals and 11 points in 20 games for the Florida Panthers in that deep playoff run. This year, nobody should expect anybody to be good for the San Jose Sharks because they stink. But two years ago... When Anthony Duclair was playing on your second and third line, he picked up 31 goals. And by the way, on the power play two years ago, he picked up nine goals. I think Anthony Duclair, whether you play him with Shannon Neighbors or you play him with Hazen Saad, that is a right winger that comes in and provides you scoring depth. He's a free agent after this year. Now, you have to make the money work, but we're talking money in, money out. But at 28 years old, who's a free agent after this season... I would give this guy a shot to come in and provide some offense to my roster. I like it. I could get behind uh, an Anthony Duclair. I, he's not my favorite. I'm interested to see where we go from here. All right, number four on this list. Let's head over to the Ottawa Senators. No, it's not Brady Kachuk, so don't get your panties in a wad. It's Dominic Kubelik. Man, I was waiting for uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. Oh, God, I ain't doing that. Are you kidding me? You've moved on from that one. No, Dominic Kubelik. Again, it's nothing that's earth-shattering. He's a free agent after this season. He's 28 years old. He's six foot two. And last season, he scored 20 goals and 45 points for the Detroit Red Wings. And in that season, he picked up seven power play goals. This is a guy who played for the Chicago Blackhawks his first season as a rookie and scored 30 goals. So you know he's got a shot. And if I'm not mistaken, he's got a one-timer. Now, his plus-minus isn't pretty, which tells me he's not a great defensive player. But I'm only playing him 12, 13 minutes a night. He's like a minus 50 over the last three years. It's fine. Out. Jordan Cairo went from minus 24 last season through 53 games to a minus four. I think this is a scoring punch. I think this is depth of scoring, and I think this is another weapon to use on a power play. So if you don't like this one, but at least you got the potential of 20 goals. I mean, again, I, what the Blues need is is that. They need a guy that can come in and add a little scoring punch. Last year we got excited about Kasperi Kapanen because of what he could potentially add as you know, a little depth of scoring. They need somebody that can be a third line forward for them on yeah. the on the wing. And so if this guy is capable of doing that, and he, he appears to be, I mean, 20, 15, 17, and 30 goals over the last four seasons, he's on pace to get 15 to 20 again this year. I think that'd be fine. And those are all bad teams, too. Like Chicago in a bad spot. Detroit last year yep. was in a bad spot in this year. So I, I think that's an interesting one. All right, top three. This is where it gets a little bit more interesting. Casey Middlestat from the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, this season for Buffalo. Now, this guy's 25 years old. So this is more... He's a UFA after this season, if I'm not mistaken. This is more of the, hey, we'll go at this guy for this run, but maybe we look at keeping him around beyond this season, and maybe he could be something. He's a centerman, but he can be used on the wing, or maybe you shift a Braden Shen to the wing, and he centers a Jake Neighbors and Braden Shen. Six foot one, 195 pounds, but look at the last two seasons. Last year, he had 59 points in 82 games. This year, he's nearly a point-per-game player, 43 points, and he's a plus 11 playing second-line minutes. 
I don't know if he's the goal scorer. I think he's more of the playmaker. But maybe if you put him on a wing, you could get some goal scoring out of him. He's a guy who plays on the power play. But this is also something that I think you could look at and say, man, if we get this, maybe this could be a part of the core going into next season as well. I, I like this one. This is one that I find to be really interesting. I wonder what it would take to be able to get him. That's yeah. my big question is I, I would have to imagine they're going to ask for a... They're going to want something that plays in their top nine also. So, yeah, I don't know what they want. Maybe they're more interested in a younger player. I doubt that. Maybe they want goaltending and you've got depth at that position. He's also going to be expensive. He's $2.5 million right now. He's had some production, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. He's an RFA, so you're going to have to give him whatever that bridge deal looks like, probably five, six million and bucks. And that's why guess. I'm not sure if Buffalo wants to keep him because he might sure. be too expensive to keep around. And if you could bring something back in return, again, I don't know. Maybe a Brandon Sod would be interesting to that. I don't know if you want to move on from a Brandon Sod. Maybe you've got something in the minor leagues that they'd be interested. Maybe this is just a pick that they want because Buffalo's in a weird spot right now. But I would be calling them to find out, like, hey, what do you got going on right here? I, I like it. Yeah. This is the one that, for me so far, has mo made the most sense. All right, well, let's see if you like these next two. All right, number two on this list, going to the Columbus Blue Jackets, because we all know they're a ish show, Jack Roslovic. Now, this isn't a scary goal scorer. Like, I think the most he's had in a season was 22 that second year with the Columbus Blue Jackets. But if you remember this name, he played for the Winnipeg Jets in that Stanley Cup run that the Blues were a part of. This is a guy that I would say is more like an Ivan Barbashev, and somebody brought up Torpchenko playing like an Ivan Barbashev. He is a tough person to play against. He finishes checks. He's a hard-nosed player. He's good on the face-off dot if you need to use him there. He's good defensively, but he's also got goal-scoring ability. He had four seasons where he scored more than 10 goals, and I look at that season two years ago, he had 22 and 45 points when he was used in a top-six role. I think this is more like a... A third-line player that might be able to give you some upside at certain times. But I also love the fact that he's 27 years old and he's a UFA after this season. But if he plays with that pissed-off attitude, if he's got that feistiness to his game, I, I think he could be a another piece that plays that direct style that Neighbors was talking about. Yeah, he's one defensively that would give me some concerns. Uh, he's never been a guy that's known for that side of the puck, so I'd probably be out on him. Mm -hmm. I'm still looking back to... Uh, the gentleman middle step like, yep that's yep. that's the one that i i like so all right this most, is so. the one that i like the most and i don't think you're gonna have to spend a lot on this because he's like four and a half million dollars you'd have to send money out which i'm not sure how you accomplish that if you're doug but he's the wizard not me washington capitals forward anthony mantha uh this is a guy that 24 goals 25 goals back when he was playing with the detroit red wings underwhelming with the Washington Capitals, but this year he's got 16 goals in 48 games. This is a guy that plays kind of like a power forward. He's six foot five, 234 pounds. Uh, he's not a liability defensively. In fact, if he's on his game, he's a really good player. I'd kind of say like a Tom Wilson-esque. Um, but this is a guy that, that has a prowess on the power play. He's only got one power play goal this season, but you look at when he was playing 80-plus games for Detroit, nine goals, seven goals, six goals. Um, I think this is somebody that you get and you play in your top six. He's a UFA after this season. He'll be 30 years old. So I don't know if you bring him back. Maybe if you want a veteran presence and you move on from somebody else, 
But this guy's got goal-scoring ability, and this guy, I think, would be a perfect piece to play with either a Braden Shin or a Kevin Hayes. Or Robert Thomas. Or Robert Thomas, if you I would put him way. on the top line. Yeah. With this kind of body on that top line. This is basically what we've been talking about with Jake Neighbors, where you get a guy that has that physical big build, you put him at the front of the net, you open up space for your shooter in Jordan Cairo, your distributor in Robert Thomas. I love this one. Yeah. This one makes a lot of sense to me. Now, my question would be, again, it all comes down to, like, I can be interested in anybody. What is the price? What is it going to take for you to be able to acquire that player? Which Washington's been wanting to get rid of this guy for the last two years. What do you think it would take? Like, are we talking about giving up a second-round pick? Are we talking about giving up something more <laughs> than that? You're probably giving up a second-round pick. You know, maybe some type of first-round pick that's like, hey, it's a first-round pick if we make the Western Conference final. It's a second-round pick if we get bounced in the first round or something like that. Um, I, I think you're putting a draft pick with this no matter what. I would say this is going to be more prospect side. Now, the hard part with this is you have to send money out. So I don't know if this means you're throwing in a Marco Scandella. I don't know if this means they have to eat salary, which means you have to give another draft pick. But, I mean, the Blues have guys that they could also send back. Like, if you wanted to send back a Sammy Blay, for example, Absolutely. you want to send back a Kasperi Kapanen, you Absolutely. could do that. You could make it work money-wise. You do that, and I think you probably put, like, a Zachary Bolduc into this to, to sweeten the pot for Washington. But this is why I say I think it might be time to not focus on just stand pat to buy. You're not giving Snuggerud or Dvorsky or anything that's going to hurt you. But I don't know how Bullduke fits into this. And if Mantha comes in here and performs well like Troy Brower did when he was that acquisition from TJ Oshie, oh. why not bring him back for a year at 2 $3 million? He's a top nine forward. If Snuggerud comes over and commits, and my top nine, we're talking Booch, Thomas, Kairou, Neighbor, Shen, Snuggerud, Mantha, Hayes, Saad, you cannot tell me that with Jordan Bennington and the way that they've been playing right now, that that offense doesn't give you a lot more optimism than what it did. All right, prior. That's the one that has me dreaming that that's the one that if they added him now, he's a little older, 30 years old. So this would be something where like they would ha they would be committing at this point if they're going to bring him back to, OK, we're going to try to get better quicker than what we expected to be. Um, so that that is a big part of this. He's the one, though, that if they were to add him. I would think to myself, all right, Army actually believes this team can do something. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of move you make, not to go all in, but to, to push a chip or yeah, two in, in the, the water. water. Yeah. You're not hurting your team with that trade. Like, I know people will be like, you can't give up Zachary Bolduc. If Bolduc goes elsewhere and puts up a 30-goal season, yeah, you probably look on it and you're like, man, I probably shouldn't have done it. But you know, if I'm Doug Armstrong and I make this move, and let's say Mantha has a big goal like Broward did against the Blackhawks, and I advance around. That pays more for my team's future and still having a Snuggerud and a Dvorsky and Stenberg and Lindstein yeah. and all these guys. That pays more for me than missing the playoffs and having Zachary Bolduc, who may never play for my team. I like that. I That's like the that guy, man. I think the Blues really should consider, and I know I should have had defensemen in this one. I, think if I you don't want, think you should have. I actually disagree with that. I, I think if you want to be aggressive, not just for this season, but for the future also, you could go after a Chikrin. You can go after a Noah Hannafin. But that's going to cost you a Dvorsky. And I'm not sure your bigger weakness right now is actually on the forward group. I agree. I think your defense has been fine. I Not great, but it's been fine. And I do find it interesting that it's been fine while Justin Falk has been out. Yeah. We I, talked all offseason about who would you trade from this, this defensive core, and the vast majority of those talks were centered around Tory Krug and Nick Letty. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to focus those conversations in a very different area right now. I like Justin Falk as a dude. We've talked to him a number of times. I think he's a pretty good leader inside of that room. But right now, the Blues are playing some of their best hockey of the year, and it's happening while Justin Falk is on the sidelines. Yeah. I, I have to take that into account. I think yeah. Tory Krug is playing better than what we've seen from him when he's been with Justin Falk. If and when he comes back, I think he's your third-line 
uh, defenseman, and much like the conversation was with Tory Krug, you don't want that guy making six and a half million dollars. Yeah, I, I just I, I'm done. Th- I'm done thinking passive with this team because you're not you're not fighting for a draft pick right now. What are you fighting for? Who cares if you select seventeenth overall or fourteenth overall? That's going to be the same player no matter what. You're relying on your prospect pool. You're relying on your draft analyst team. If I'm not picking in top ten. I'm going to invest in my team a little bit. And if I'm Doug watching what they've just accomplished, go get them some more goal scoring so that you can rely on a second and third line to help you out and you could keep your fourth line intact. One other thing that I wanted to add here is if you did need to figure out the money side of things, Alex, I don't know what the situation is long-term with Justin Falk, but they sure do not seem to be talking about him as if he's a guy that's going to be coming back anytime in the near future. Yeah, It's possible an LTIR stint will Absolutely. be in, in the future for him. And if that is the case, that opens up a good amount yeah. of cap space for you, you as well. It's $6.5 and then you don't have to worry about sending anything the other way. You send a second-round pick in Bolduke or a third-round pick in Bolduke, and you bring back somebody who's got NHL experience. And maybe there's another name out there that people look at. I was just looking at the sellers, the obvious sellers. Maybe a team becomes a seller and you can swoop in. Maybe a guy like Maggiapani with the Calgary Flames becomes available. But if I'm the Blues right now, my weakness is a right wing forward who could provide me pop. And I don't know if you've got anybody in your system that can do that. So I'm going to go aggressively find that. So I tell my team that I believe in you. We're diving into the rewind coming up in 10 minutes. But coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. 3143999646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for One's Gotta Go. You give us four different options. We'll tell you which one's gotta go here on BK and Ferrario. Let's start out with this one from the 314. One's gotta go Pro Sports All-Star Edition. All-Star! NBA's gotta go. You don't even have to give me the damn options. NBA, NFL, NHL, or MLB. NBA. I think the NBA one's a joke. Can I be honest? And it's NFL. probably not going to go over particularly well here. Are you NHL. about to say baseball? I'm, oh. I'm kind of with it's you, hockey. though. The NHL one sucks ever since they went to the three-on-three three with four teams. I just think it's silly. Just put two teams together. It's yeah. the Western Conference versus the Eastern Conference. If you want to play three-on-three, three, that's fine. But Well, technically, they're getting rid of it next year. Like, the All-Star week is gone because they're doing that, that face-off. Uh, the 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 God, What's it called? Grant, help know. me out so, here. Uh, the four for the four nations face-off thing. It's a tournament like where a World Cup, basically. yeah, it's building them up for the Olympics the next year. So they're going to be off for like two weeks, and it's going to be U. It's going to be North America or I no thought, USA versus Canada versus Sweden versus Finland. I thought that was at the beginning of the year. No, that's next year. So they're wiping out the All Star game because oh. I think they know the NHL All Star game is a joke. Yeah. So uh, I changed my answer. All-Star game. I'd NHL. Say football. They don't even play the freaking sport anymore. But they moved the fun. flag. Yeah, but it's fun. It's dodgeball. Uh, I don't care. It sucks. I mean, they all stink. They Minus all suck. Baseball is pretty good. One's got to go. Historic U.S. City Edition. New York, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, or Boston. I did not enjoy my time in Boston. I. That's not fair. I relative to expectations, was disappointed by my experience in Boston. I thought it was like a 5 out of 10, and I was hoping for more. I was about to ask a dumb question, and I stopped myself. So, yeah, I think I would get rid of Boston. 
Um, because like when you, I love New York City. I could go to New York City. But, but what I was going to ask is like, what are you going to see history wise? But like Statue of Liberty is probably one of the coolest things you could see if you're a history buff. Second to Washington, D.C. You get to see the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia and kind of where a lot of the history. I, I don't know how much you get to see in Boston. And historical? I mean, I, yeah. Oh, it, the whole city is historic. Well, like, I, the problem with Boston is it never burned down. That's why. Like, and what I mean by that is they were never actually able to make the city blocks the way that they're supposed to be. Wow. There's like rounded streets all over. Every like big city at some point burned down, and they were able to make it onto a grid. If you're listening right Boston now, Boston never did. Watch out, because Boston City might get it, burned down by BK. It's incredibly difficult to drive or maneuver in yeah. Boston proper. But what I mean, if like if I'm a if it's I'm a town a, square, if I'm a history buff, I want to go see something physical history and like i know there's a lot of buildings but like the liberty bell the and statue of liberty you're talking about in boston the yeah freedom boston. trail like yeah. the, it's all boston's history huge. in boston uh, boston just, is too into its own history and i think it's part of why it's not as fun of a city like philly opinion. you get to see where they signed the declaration of independence and i think that's a really cool thing so in boston you get to see where paul revere that's a road man i don't give a hell about a man, road the same guy that was like oh look a lion the cardinals are coming that's true that's true he's like oh a lion road i think i would get rid of boston see i'd get rid of philly because i've been to philly and like I, seeing the place where the declaration was signed but like the liberty bells like cool it's a bell like i i i wasn't impressed with philly I, I haven't been to boston i'd love to go to new york um, what was the other one on here? I can't. Philly, Philly. DC. Oh, DC's DC's really cool. the number I, one. Of DC this. was DC was. I awesome. can't wait I need to, to go get to back to DC because there's stuff I want to still go see. So I, I would get rid of uh, Philadelphia here. All right, a few more of these ones. Got to go. Falk, Krug, Sod, or Letty. Falk. Yeah, I think as would... we've seen it, he's gone and they're winning. Yeah. So uh, I hate to put connect the dots, but. Uh, Folks gotta I think go. I would actually do Sod here. Like I love Brandon Sod. Don't get me wrong, but like I, my hope is that like for Falk, I get the points back. Even if I'm not using him in the top four to where he's a defensive liability, can I use you and get like 50 points out of you as a third pairing defenseman and on the power play? Probably not. I think I would get rid of Sod. Okay. Three zero four three nine 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 six four six from the three or six three six. One's got to go. Fruit candy edition. Starburst. Skittles. Sour Patch Kids. Or. Twizzlers. Thanks for not putting grunts on here. The nasty candy. Hey, they're runts. There's no G. Get it right if you're going to talk I, trash, Alex. I grunt when I eat it because it's disgusting. Um, Skittles stay. I think I would get rid of Twizzlers here. Mostly because there's only one Twizzler that I enjoy, and it's the cherry one that you peel off. But it's got to be like the brand Twizzler. All the others are nasty. I hate Twizzlers, and I hate it because like it's the, it's the one thing that my family always brought us like the snack for road trips, and I despise. Oh, yeah. them. I hate the ones I that like you have Twizzlers. to bite. Ugh, disgusting. Yeah. I also like licorice though as a flavor. So. Black licorice. People that like black licorice, licorice are psychopaths. Uh, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line. One's got to go. Mustard edition, spicy brown, Dijon, stone ground, or yellow. Dijon's got to go. What is really? Stone Nobody likes Dijon mustard. Stone Ground's the one that has like the little white or little small rounds yeah. in it. You're not fancy one. enough to use that yeah, one. Apparently not, not. The only thing it's I use Dijon. Big, it makes your, it makes your uh, nose hurt as it comes out. Oh, my God. Man. How do you handle that? <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, the only thing I've used Dijon mustard for are deviled eggs, and like I can substitute Dijon mustard for something else for deviled eggs. Otherwise, it's disgusting. Yeah, get rid of yellow. 
It's clearly the worst. You're getting rid of all of mustard if you're getting rid of yellow. The the plain, like the Heinz yellow mustard, I'm out. Cool. The one thing that has created all of the other mustards, let's get rid of that one. Yep, that's the one. That's the worst one. If I can get any of these other three on my hot dog instead of yellow mustard, I would prefer it. But without yellow mustard, none of those others can be made. But you get the point, right? No, I don't get the point. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense, man. Coming up next, <laughs> Alex is getting out of here. I'm he's done. That was a somewhere. terrible take. I'm out. And he's got to get driving. And as you guys probably know, <laughs> the roads are, out there. are less than ideal. So Alex going to have a great week, and we'll see you later. See you, buddy. buddy. Coming up next, the BK and Ferrario Re- Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Now is your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan on July 28th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets for Luke Bryan on sale right now. You can check out more information on that at 101ESPN.com or text in, be call, text your number 101 at 314 399 9646 if you have the correct answer to the following question and your text your number 101. You are going home with that pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan. The question is earlier today, Jake Neighbors told us there was somebody on the Blues that was giving him grief about the fact that he had never been in a fight at the NHL level. Who was that player? If you name them correctly and your texts are number 101, you're getting the pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. You can also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. Those podcasts are all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. T-Bone, before we get out of here today, final thing on the St. Louis Blues. I consider last night to be arguably their best win of the season. I know I've said that a few different times over recent weeks and that's because they keep one-upping what their best win of the season has been and it's the first time where I left saying to myself you know what I'm ready to buy in I don't know where this is going I don't know how great this team actually is going to be if you look at the five on five numbers it's not pretty but they've got a great goalie they've got a legit number one defenseman they've got Jake Neighbors who we talked to earlier today who is playing out of his mind right now and is exactly what this team has been missing over the last couple of seasons and so I'm ready to to see where this thing goes see it through and I'm emotionally investing myself now into what this team can do. Are you there yet? I'm not 100% there, but I'm I'm close. I, I'm probably 80% in. I've got not just my toe in the water. I've, I've got like, the water up to my knees. I'm about to dive in. I just want to see a little bit more and a little bit more sustained stretch here um, because they've gotten back to their identity. You know, They've gotten back to being a team that doesn't have to rely on the top line. I remember a month ago we were talking about how they had relied too heavily on that top line of Thomas, Kairou, and Buchnevich. That's not the case anymore. They've got a second line that's working with neighbors and Shen. They've got a fourth line that's playing really well. they got a power play that actually looks, you know, competent and really good. So I'm not 100% in just yet. I want to see a little bit more sustained stretch here, but I'm getting close because they're playing really well and they're getting back to playing what I would call Blues hockey. He's Tanner Hendrickson. Grant Francis did a fantastic job for us today back in the studio. Huge thanks to him for stepping up and being able to do that for us. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex had to step out a little bit early to be able to take care of some things. 
Everything's got to get back out on the roads. If you guys are getting on the roads today, uh, be super careful out there. Be safe. It sounds like things are getting a little ugly. So uh, be careful out there. You guys enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.